1: Throughout my career, I've wrestled in a lot of countries, but without a shadow of doubt, the United States of America is the greatest country of them all. See, we have fought to make this the land of the free and the home of the brave. And one of those freedoms is freedom of speech the right to state your opinion. But as the saying goes, opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. Even a master debater like yourself. See, we as a country, we didn't start this thing. Terrorists started this, terrorism started this when they hijacked planes, flew into the buildings on 9-11. Terrorism started this in Iraq has been known to harbor, finance, support, and even train terrorism. They started it, terrorism started, not us. Terrorism drew first blood on 9-11, and you can bet your sweet ass, we're gonna get even, and we're gonna finish it. There are thousands of Americans, men and women, who are fighting for our freedom, making the ultimate sacrifice. They're the real heroes, and I support them. So you, the Dixie Chicks, all those Hollywood numbnucks, that don't
2: support our troops, can go straight to hell. And to think Scott Steiner cut that promo this week back in 2003. Every bit of it stands the test of time. If Scott Steiner showed up on Raw this week and cut that same promo word for word, people out there would say, wow, what a fucking great promo. And you'd have people that would shit on it simply because it's so pro-America and because of our current president. Please, give me a fucking break. But that promo was awesome. And you know what's sad, and I've said this couple of times this year so far. I go and do a lot of research for these shows. I go on news sites, history sites, newsletters, shows, archives, statistics. I search and research about 20 different, you know, areas online. And that's where I get a majority of my stuff. And based on certain, some of the things that I pull, I will do additional references. I will do additional checks. And it's sad to see so many history sites that never even acknowledged that promo. And it happened this week. And I know for some of you out there, it may not be a big deal. But there is so much shit that goes down in wrestling history that you start to learn. A lot of it is forgotten. And as this show evolves, we are going to pull little gems out of the hat that a lot of people have overlooked. And this week's episode, I am so looking forward to it. Not because we're finally past the WrestleManias. In the last three weeks, the last three episodes, we've had to cover all of the WrestleManias that have taken place. So there was, the shows were extended, which was fine. But now we could focus on everything that has transpired outside of WrestleMania. Some moments in history happened the night after WrestleMania. Some of it happened the week before. And, but it's, this episode is going to be so much fun. And the reason why I'm also looking forward to it is because of Your feedback. Because I say it all the time. Send your opinions, suggestions, praise, criticism, ideas. I read everyone's. The one thing that I noticed over and over and over that's been asked from you out there is, can you include some additional like little stories here and there? Like little things that you wouldn't normally hear from like, you know, a small promotion or just random tidbits that we may have not known about. And I'm going to start that on this episode. There's going to be some really, really cool shit. And as far as audio clips, we have a bunch this week. So I hope you enjoy them. And uh, let's get into it, shall we? Uh, Now, I have to start off with 1964. And I know, you know, we usually don't go really far back when we get into this the history shows. But there are some landmark moments in history that we need to mention. It was this week, back in 1964, where Buddy Rogers became the first... WWWF champion Now, I'm not going to get into the history Of how, you know uh, They broke away From the NWA And, you know, they created the title The bottom line is This week in 64, Buddy Rogers Was crowned as the first heavyweight champion But I will say this If you look up history, you'll find a lot of places That'll say that Buddy Rogers won the title In a tournament in Rio de Janeiro Brazil It's not true he was just handed the title. The tournament is just fictitious, but uh, he would lose the title about three weeks later to Bruno. And then we all know about Bruno's uh, longevity as heavyweight champion. So this all started this week back in 1964. We fast forward to 1973. Greg Gagne, the son of Vern Gagne, makes his pro wrestling debut. He won his debut match, wrestling for the AWA. He wrestled Kenny J on that card. And for those that are curious, would you like to know what the main event was for that night in 73? I think this a, sounds like a pretty cool match, don't you think? Best two out of three falls for the AWA World Tag Team titles. Nick Bockwinkle and Ray DeCrippler Crippler Stevens defeated Billy Robinson and Don Morocco. Yes, that Don Morocco. 1975, Jesse Ventura. He actually is mentioned a few times in this week's show. Jesse Ventura makes his pro wrestling debut in his debut match for the CSW promotion in Kansas. He lost against Omar Atlas. 1980, Playboy Buddy Rose. I'm trying to get footage of this match. I can't find it yet. I have a few people doing some searching. See, you gotta understand something. Not everything is on YouTube. Daily Motion is a place where you can find a lot of stuff, too. But there's a lot of footage out there that you can't do a simple Google search for. And the reason being is because if if somebody just writes, you know, blah, 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 blah versus blah, 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 blah. you know, there's copyright infringement. And a simple Google search, if you could pull up certain matches, you know WWE and others are going to take it down. That's why I had such a hard time to find footage of Andy Kaufman versus Jerry Lawler that we covered last week. Thank God I'm a gigantic Andy Kaufman fan and I got this like 10 disc collection at home. So I was able to pull the match from my own archives, but WWE is taking it down. So, you know, this match, I don't know if it's, if anybody has it on film, but I'm looking it up. Playboy Buddy Rose loses a hair versus hair match against Roddy Piper. Took place for the, Championship Wrestling USA promotion in Portland, Oregon. It happened this week in 1980. 1989, Scott Norton makes his pro wrestling debut. He wrestled for AWA, and he defeated Wayne Bloom by DQ. 1989, Jared King Lawler defeats Kerry Von Erich to win the World Class Wrestling Association Unified Heavyweight Title. See, I have to make sure that's that's the right name because... That belt actually would be disbanded about, what, 10, 11 days later? It would be unified with the AWA World Heavyweight title. So, Jerry Lawler would only hold that for about 11 days. And uh, that belt was done. And it's sad because, you know, we'll get into it shortly. Not today's episode because it doesn't fall this week. But, you know, AWA would obviously go out of business a short time thereafter. Uh, 1990. We've mentioned a couple of these cards in the last bunch of weeks. WWF in 1990 was doing these joint events in Japan with All Japan Pro Wrestling. And some of these cards are just phenomenal. And this card is available online. And some of the matches are phenomenal if you really want to go seek it out. For everybody out there that loves Japanese wrestling and even, you know, some good classic WWF I want to mention this show. It it took place this week in 1990. It was called the Wrestling Summit. And uh, here are the match results. Now, remember, this is 1990. So some names will sound familiar, but you got to keep in mind, they weren't wrestling for WWF at this time. They were wrestling for all Japan. Doug Furness, Dan Crawford, and Joe Malenko over Samson Fuyuki, Toshiaki Kawada, and Tatsumi Kitihara. Jushin Dundalaga over Akira Nogami. Tito Santana and Superfly Jimmy Snook over Masafuchi and Kenta Kobashi. Tiger Mask and Bret Hart fought to a 20-minute time limit draw. Great Kabuki over Greg Dahmer-Valentine. Jake the Snake Roberts over the Big Boss Man. Shinya Hashimoto and Masaseito defeated Masahiro Chono and Ricky Choshu to retain the IWGP tag titles. Haku and Jumbo Saruta over Rick Martell and Mr. Perfect. Genichiro Tenryu over the Macho Man Randy Savage. The Ultimate Warrior retained the WWF title, defeating the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. This match I actually watched over the weekend, and it's a fun match, and when you realize, we're talking 1990 now, Andre's career was pretty much done. He teamed up with Giant Baba to defeat DeLition, and in the main event, it was Hulk Hogan over Stan Hansen. So it's a really, really fun card. If you really never saw it, you want to go seek it out, go check it out. 1991, Saturday night's main event from Omaha, Nebraska. The main event, Mr. Perfect, the IC champ, won a 20-man over-the-top battle royal, uh, last eliminating Greg Nama valentine Other participants, the Warlord, Kerry Von Eric, tugboat, tugboat, Tatanka, Jimmy Snooker, Paul Roma, Jake the Snake Roberts, Shawn Michaels, Marty Jannetty, Kato, Hercules, Hulk Hogan, Haku, Earthquake, Haxel Jim Duggan, the British Bulldog, Big Boss Man, and the Barbarian. Also this week in 1991, Johnny Ace. And, you know, we've talked in the past of Johnny Ace's, you know, early wrestling career, not being the most talented. I mean, he and Shane Douglas have told stories about being the dynamic dudes and, you know, their limited wrestling ability at the time. Well, check this out. Johnny Ace, in 1991, wrestled Cactus Jack. And somehow he did a moonsault onto Cactus Jack, and broke his elbow. So just figured I'd share it. Just little tidbits that you may have never knew about, but uh, that happened this week in 91. 1992, Kevin Kelly. Not that Kevin Kelly, but the one that we all remember as nails. WWF inks a deal with him to come in. He originally was going to be brought in as the convict and he may have even wrestled a couple of matches as the convict and then they changed it to Nails and his first uh, feud was supposed to be with Big Boss Man. So there you go. 1993, and this is a great one because me and my friends were supposed to go to this and I might be wrong with my history on this one, but just to show you how sometimes WCW really did do things ass backwards. All right, I remember in 93, Ravishing Rick Rude being on Howard Stern. And, you know, we had heard that WCW was coming to the Paramount Theater in Madison Square Garden. And at that time, I was going to tons of garden shows. You know, I had the privilege of sitting with Georgie Ann and Stanley front row. And just it was just fucking awesome. And for the people that don't know the story, I used to work for a Jewish deli on Queens Boulevard called Ben's Best. I was the first Italian ever to work in that deli. And you want to talk prejudice? You have no idea the bullshit that I went through as an Italian working in a Jewish deli. I swear on my parents. I swear on my mother who had fucking triple bypass, heart surgery, pig valve put in and everything less than two years ago. There were Jewish people who would go into that place and tell the owner they did not want Me to help them because they wanted a Jewish person handling their food. You know, I mean, look, it's their culture. I respect it. I totally understand. You cut cheese. You have to do it on a separate machine from the meat, and this this, and that. And I, I understand it, but it, I, it was kind of fucked up at that time. But me, I didn't sweat it. I was getting paid great money. There was cool, cool people working there. Ben's Best was an awesome place to be. I gained some pounds from eating all that corned beef, pastrami, and arugula, and fucking matzo ball soup. You know, give me a matzo ball soup in the filter fish. But they had a guy who was working there. His name was Stanley. He was good friends with Georgie Georgian. And he had, you know, front row tickets for Madison Square Garden. And, you know, at that time, you had the, the luxury of, like, the subscriptions where you, would, you could buy the same, if you were a member or something, you could buy. I don't even remember how it really worked. I mean, I know places like, you know, uh, I don't want to say ECW, but some places later on, you would pay X amount of dollars and you would be part of a club and you could always, you're guaranteed the same seat every time, as long as you went They always had the same seats. And I remember working there and he had said to me, hey, you want to come check out wrestling? Because he knew I was a wrestling fan. And, you know, guy never took money from me. That's how I met Georgie. I met Georgian way before we started talking on the internet. And it was fucking beautiful. Had so much fun. But I remember in 93, WCW was coming to the East Coast. Something that we rarely ever had the opportunity to see, if any. And at that time, we were going to go. And for some reason, we backed out. I don't know if we just went out to a club instead or just people got lazy. But we didn't go. And over the years, hearing personal stories of people that went, going back to my hotline days, people telling me and how bad it sucked, I'm glad that we didn't go. But just again, talking about the ass backwards comment, Cactus Jack was supposed to be on Howard Stern that week. And, you know, I was a fan of Mick Foley way before he ever went to WCW. All right? And to ha- you hear that he was going to be on Howard Stern was fucking great. And back in the early 90s, Howard Stern was more regional. I mean, he was New York. I mean, first it was 66 WNBC and it was 92 K Rock. So pretty much we would get him locally. And obviously, as time went on, you know, and you had the capability of going nationwide, doing your radio. But we thought it was cool to have a wrestler on Howard Stern. Now, if I remember correctly, and again, I could be wrong on this, but if I remember, Cactus Jack's appearance on Howard Stern was taking place. After the WCW event. Not before. So you would think that you would be on the radio to promote WCW and then have the card. If I remember correctly, he was booked after the event. But what ended up happening was, I don't know all the logistics about it, but apparently... The interview was going to be canceled, so Cactus Jack went and wrestled in the Midwest for WCW, and then the interview was back on, and he didn't have anybody to, you know, take Cactus Jack's place, and then Rick Rude, who happened to still be, I guess, in the vicinity, he showed up, and he appeared on Howard Stern. And the f- cool thing about it is that footage is on YouTube. Audio's not that great, but Ravishing Rick Rude was on Howard Stern that week in 93, but as far as the event goes, Ric Flair was advertised. I don't recall him being advertised for a match, but he didn't make it, had problems with his flight from Charlotte. Uh, I have read over the years that the flight problems were legit. There was a clusterfuck of a match. Chris Benoit and Ron Simmons were having a match, and apparently the crowd was into it, and after two or three minutes of the match, Nick Patrick comes out, and they announce that both wrestlers violated some type of WCW rule in the match. I don't know if they went over the top. I don't know what the deal was, but after two and a half minutes, they just stopped the match and the crowd was fucking livid. So not only were they mad because Ric Flair wasn't appearing, the best match that they had up until that point, they scrapped it after two and a half minutes. I don't get it. So anyway... Uh, the match results, Johnny B. Baird over Tex Slas- Slasinger, Max Payne over Steven Regal. Chris Benoit and Ron Simmons, as I just mentioned. Van Hammer over Vinny Vegas. Kevin Nash. Hollywood Blondes. Steve Austin and Brian Pillman over Marcus Alexander Bagwell and Two Cold Scorpio. Ravishing Rick Rude over Cactus Jack. Dustin Rhodes over Paul Orndorff. Barry Windham over Ricky Steamboat. Sting over Big Van Vader. It's a stack goddamn crowd. But a lot of people said that a lot of the matches sucked. They just were not happy at all. And, you know, the crowd, it didn't even sell out from what I understand. But, hey, it's still, it was a a card that I kind of regret not going to, even if it would have sucked. To just have been part of it, I think it would have been awesome. Anyway, 1994, Jesse Ventura. We have audio clips coming up in a moment. 1994, Jesse Ventura wins $810,000 in a lawsuit with WWF. And I have an audio clip of him talking about two or three minutes as to why he won this lawsuit. And I was going to get into this whole detailed explanation about it, but Jesse Ventura sums it up in about two or three minutes. So I'm going to share that audio, and then I'll add a couple of tidbits that you don't actually hear in this interview
3: well because all the time that i was dealing with him after i started in hollywood i got royalties on predator i got royalties for everything i did in hollywood and every time we'd we'd come to negotiations yearly i'd say vince how come i get royalties in hollywood and i don't get them from you right i said i get royalties for everything i do out there and i don't get nothing from you well vince said i don't pay royalties he'd have won the case Nobody requires him to pay royalties. There's no law. But during discovery, we found out certain people were getting royalties. Hogan, Cyndi Lauper, Mr. T, all the people that came from the real outside world, when they negotiated with Vince, they got royalties from Vince. And of course, Our number one boy, Hogan, was getting them. Nobody else though. That's how I won the case. It's called quantum merit. When you sit down and negotiate, there's a belief that the other side is telling you the truth about everything. Well, it, we proved in court, Vince was not honest during the negotiations. Uh, the jury found for me completely. And when I went to work for WCW, I negotiated a royalty there. And all the jury did was take my negotiated royalty and apply it to Vince. Huh. And then I sued him quickly the second time. He took that to the Supreme Court and lost all the way. When I, then I immediately sued him again for future royalties. That he settled right away. So I get that rate And now I'm in his computer So every four months Or whatever it is He kicks a check out to me Wow And I call up My wrestling retirement awesome. I'm the only wrestler That gets retirement That's right. it's because I took him to court In federal court
0: Now when was this going on Did Vince ever call you And try to settle With you one on one Without nope. lawyers All lawyers and Never Okay Never When it was over Did he call you at all
3: Yep
4: and what was that conversation like?
3: He screamed and hollered at the phone of me, that's my money, that's my money. And I just held the phone away till he was done. When he was done, I brought the phone back in. I said, Vince, I said, the jury said it was my money, the federal judge said it was my money, the appeals court said it was my money, and the Supreme Court of the United States said it was my money. Vince, I think you're of a minority opinion.
5: Wow. And then, obviously, you guys did business
4: together again. Oh, right. we
3: get along actually better today than we did when, you know. (laughs) I'll put it to you this way, and this is embarrassing. My biggest payday in wrestling was when I refereed SummerSlam as the governor. Wow. That's embarrassing, to make my biggest payday as a freaking referee.
2: Now, one thing that I think is so important about this lawsuit is that You have to understand the logistics behind it. You know, Jesse Ventura won because other people were getting royalties that were entertainers. Mr. T, Cindy Lauper, uh, Hogan, Andre. Now, you would think Hogan, Andre, they're wrestlers. So, you know, why are they getting royalties from WWF but other people aren't? And this whole lawsuit, the most important thing about it was that Jesse Ventura's award, of that 810000 800000 of it had to do with commentating on, I don't know, is it 60, 80 WWF videos at the time? So he won the lawsuit for commentary. He won another $8,000 plus for merchandise royalties. But why this was so important, it's been said over the years that if Jesse Ventura would have won royalties as a wrestler and not just the announcer, this could have opened the floodgates for every wrestler to sue for royalties, if you think about it. So this was a huge case and you know, at that time it it was a boatload it's still a boatload of money to lose in a lawsuit, but it was a landmark decision to give Jesse Ventura that kind of money. And again, think about it. (laughs) You know, when you talk about the steroid trial, which, believe it or not, next week, we actually start covering the steroid controversy. And it wasn't just steroids at that time. There was allegations about Pat Patterson, Mel Phillips, uh, the only female referee that WWF ever had accused Vince McMahon of rape. I mean, I'm sure a lot of you out there don't even know about the Geraldo episode where WWF tried to sue Geraldo because of stuff like this. We all start covering that next week. I'm already looking in advance as far as what's going to go down. It's going to be a ball. But you think about the steroid scandal and things of the WCW Monday Night Wars trying to knock Vince out of business. Could you imagine the financial disaster that Vince McMahon would have had if all the wrestlers had the capability of suing for royalties? Remember, you're not entitled to royalties, you know they don't have to pay royalties, but if you are an employee and your somebody is getting something, then technically you're supposed to get it as well. So this could have been a landmark decision. Also in 1994, and I know a lot of people out there cut and paste. You know what Dave Meltzer says over the years, but you'll probably read this this week on so many websites about Dave Meltzer calling this the single most incredible night of wrestling ever. And if you're a fan of Japanese wrestling, it arguably could be because I have this on video. And I will always remember this night because of one thing, and I know people are going to be like, oh, give me a fucking break. But what happened in 1994, New Japan Pro Wrestling had their first ever Super J-Cup tournament in Tokyo, Japan. And, you know, I mean, you look at the card from top to bottom. You know, a lot of people don't even realize that this was the debut of Hayabusa, you know, the Hayabusa character in wrestling. But when you look at this card from top to bottom, I mean, it is fucking stacked. First round, Gato over Dean Malenko. Super Delphin over Shinjiro Otani. Shinjiro Otani, excuse me. Black Tiger, who's Eddie Guerrero under a mask over Takamichinoku, El Samurai over Masayoshi Moteji. Ricky Fuji. Uh, over Negro Casas, Jushin Thunderlager over Hayabusa, and the Great Sasuke and Wild Pegasus, Pegasus who Chris Benoit under a mask, they were given buys into the second round. So now you have the quarterfinals. Gato over Super Delphin, Wild Pegasus over Black Tiger, Great Sasuke over Hell Samurai, and Jushin Thunderlager over Ricky Fuji. Semifinals, Wild Pegasus over Gato, and Greg Sasuke over Jushin Thunderlager which had the finals, obviously, Wild Pegasus and Greg Sasuke. And it was won by Wild Pegasus, who was Chris Benoit, under a mask. Why do I always remember this night? Besides the unbelievable wrestling. Every From what I, I haven't seen this in years, anybody used to buy videotapes from me, best of Chris Benoit, his matches from this night are on there. And I don't remember a bad match on the entire tournament. But the one thing that I always remember from it is the way they would uh, announce Chris Benoit as Wild Pegasus. And I know there's a more uh, popular match that floats around on YouTube of uh, Chris Jericho versus Wild Pegasus in Japan. And, you know, Chris Jericho, I mean, they, they called his name, but, you know, he was Lionheart. So you would hear the Japanese announcers going, Lionheart, you know, whatever. But whenever they announced Chris Benoit's Wild Pegasus, it would always be Wild Pegasus! Yeah, because I had to do that at the very end. Oh, you're fucking racist. You're making fun of Japan? Listen to it. I When I do impersonations of Japanese people, I mean, I look, later on I get to talk about Santino Marella. A character that I never was really a big fan of, even though it would have been cool if he would have won that one Elimination Chamber or the, the, whatever that match was. Remember that? How many people for a split second thought there was a chance he was going to win that night? I mean, I remember covering it. But when Santino Morella first came in, Sentino up! and I'm fucking Italian, I couldn't stand it because you could hear that the accent was cardboard. But so when I imitate people, I'm not making fun of their nationality. I'm just imitating on how they fucking sound. I mean, I'm going to sound like an Italian to to sound like, uh, you know, Shinsuke Nakamura. I'm going to sound like a Puerto Rican if I'm talking about a black person, or if I'm going to fucking talk about an Italian person, I'm going to sound Japanese. Come on, shut the fuck up. But Chris Benoit, why you pegas? 1994, Sid Vicious. He was scheduled to have his first match back in the ring since the October 26th stabbing incident with Arn Anderson. He was supposed to wrestle in Essex, Maryland against Jerry the King Lawler for the MEWF heavyweight title. Unfortunately, both main eventers no-showed and they had to go with Brutus Beefcake versus Kamala instead. Uh, Reports over the years is that Jerry Lawler Had legitimately cancelled a few days in advance Uh, Sid Vicious was announced That he couldn't be there because of legal problems And the official story since then And this might sound a little familiar With a lot of wrestlers in today's day and age He wanted a first class plane ticket There was a $500 discrepancy Between the promoter and Sid Vicious So they did not uh, show up so they went with Brutus Beefcake versus Kamala instead. Wrapping up 1994, big moment in wrestling history that I didn't hear covered anywhere. Hulk Hogan agrees to a contract with WCW. Now, this was way before the parades in Florida and all that shit, which we'll cover in the near future. But it was this week in 94 that Hogan agreed to terms with WCW. Now, because I, it's a little complicated, but I'll give you the cliff notes of this situation. WWF based on their terms of release to Hulk Hogan They had the right to refuse that deal and match WCW's offer They had 21 days basically to match WCW's offer And then after 21 days if they didn't match the offer Hogan was, was allowed to sign with WCW Now if you look at it on a business sense You know, this was a falling out with Vince and Hogan, the steroid trial, all this other stuff going on. This was right smack in the middle of it. Vince could have agreed and matched the offer. And if Hulk Hogan refused to work for WWF, WWF wouldn't have to pay Hogan a dime. Hogan would be forced to go to movies, go to Hollywood, couldn't wrestle anywhere else. And as long as he didn't appear on WWF television, he wouldn't get paid nothing. But, you know, Vince milked that whole 21 days. He would ultimately, you know, sign the deal with WCW. And then he would debut on WCW television not too long thereafter. So it was this week in 94 that the ball, everything started to go in motion. Hulk Hogan coming to WCW. Someone who was leaving a promotion this week in 1995 was Sabu. Now, last week I talked about the match, the three-way dance. You had Taz as the Tasmaniac teaming up with Rick Steiner. You now, the reason why Taz teamed up with Rick Steiner was because he was supposed to team up with Sabu. Sabu no showed that event. He decided to wrestle in Japan instead. Now, if you ever watch that video, the three way dance, you'll hear Chance of Fuck Sabu throughout the night. Because early in the night, Paul Heyman had cut a promo to the crowd. And that was one thing that Paul Heyman was awesome about with fans. And that's why, that's just one, I mean, it's one of many reasons why the fans had such an intimate connection with ECW. Paul Heyman got on the mic, told everyone before the show started what happened, and that Sabu chose to go to Japan for a bigger payday over ECW. And, you know, look, over the years, things, fences have mended a little bit. And in hindsight, you look at the whole deal with Sabu, you know, how this guy wrestled hurt, wrestled with injuries, and did a lot of work for ECW leading up to that point. Was he right to no-show ECW? Absolutely not. But the guy did fucking kill his body for ECW up until that time. And I think, you know, the fuck Sabu stuff might have been a little bit much You know, but at that time, you know, we just didn't have that type of sympathy. You know, like we do now. You didn't have social media either. I mean, yeah, the internet was around, but not like it is now. But it was this week in 95 that Sabu was fired from ECW due to that event. Another audio clip. That is awesome. This week in 1995, The Undertaker wrestled for Smoky Mountain Wrestling. He teamed with Tracy Smothers and beat the gangsters in a salute the flag match and um you know a match you won't see anytime soon because the flag in the corner of the undertaker and tracy smothers now what the what the salute the flag was was that the losing team would have to salute the flag of the opposite team the undertaker and tracy smothers flag was a confederate flag now Look, they're wrestling the gangsters. Remember the gangsters and their whole storyline in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. They really, you know, really crossed that line sometimes and really, you know, rode that fine line quite a bit as far as racism. Remember the two count, how they would win the matches? You know, so the gangsters really, really ruffled feathers of white fans at the time. And it was all done in entertainment. I mean, it's, look, maybe it's not... You know, socially acceptable in this day and age. My point is, is that it was done on both sides. But the Undertaker, I'm sure a lot of people may not even know, he wrestled as the Undertaker for Smoky Mountain Wrestling in '95. Now there is a promo online, which I'm sure almost everyone out there has never seen before. You know, I'm sure over the years some people have fantasized New Jack or the Gangsters wrestling for WWF. So here is just a little audio. I recommend you watch the video because it is hilarious to see the gangsters with D'Lo Brown also in a cemetery, basically telling everyone how that they're not afraid of the undertaker and they're in a graveyard to show that they're not afraid. And then at the very end, when you hear like footsteps running away, I'll tell you why.
6: Okay. Now look, now look, we're going to go in this, we're going to go in a cemetery. All right. We're going to go ahead, we're going to show these people that we're not scared of Undertaker, you know what I'm saying? We're going to go. Now, I mean, all we got to do is just go ahead, we're going to walk around a little bit and get used to this graveyard, so we're gonna shoot. going to show everybody what's going on, and the gangs ain't scared of nothing, you know what I'm saying? deal, you ain't scared, are you?
1: No.
6: Kyle, you scared? No,
1: I'm
6: with you. Alright then. Stoffer, you with me right? You ain't scared? I ain't going in there, man. Come on, Stoffer, man. All we got to do is just walk in the damn cemetery, come on. As you can see, we out in a cemetery, and, um, we... Hey, 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 don't we step We trying on, to prepare for... What? It's bad luck. Don't step on the graves, man. It's man, look, wait, well, hold on. We trying to prepare for this match we got coming up with The Undertaker, Tracy Smother, and Armstrong, and Cornette, and whoever else. Now, I understand that Paul... Paul Bearer and The Undertaker, this is something, that, like, they might be used to, but, uh... The gangsters ain't used to this, but I'm trying to show everybody that we ain't scared to come in no graveyard. So we might have to dig up a couple of folks just to show you that we ain't really all that scared. And if I seem kind of nervous, I'm not, you know what I mean? I'm just, you know, just want to make sure that everything all right out here. All right, Undertaker, Paul Bearer, Cornette. This is about as low as you can get. Speaking of low, we probably stand on a gray that's about six or seven foot deep, but this is about as low as you can get. Now I'm going to show you that the gangsters ain't scared. I'm going to show you that we going to stoop to your kind of mess, you understand? You wanted the gangsters, now you got the gangsters. And I don't like being out here, I'm going to be honest, I really don't. But we're going to come and we're going to try to get rid of Undertaker, Paul Bearer, Cornette, and Tracer, you know what I mean? And I hope for the sake of everybody, this is the last time I have to walk through a graveyard. I don't like being out here, and I might even Hey, what was that? I heard something, man. What? Oh, you there. ain't oh, heard nothing. Do you I heard man, oh, You did. You ain't heard nothing. I told you I heard something.
2: At the very end, when you just hear all of a sudden, it sounds like everybody's running away. That's because they heard something. They got really, really scared. And it was a black cat that was standing by a tree. It was very well done. I mean, it really it was funny shit. But uh, I, I loved it, man. I've been a fan of New Jacks forever. I mean, I've told the personal story of him calling me shortly after my car accident in '96. Totally unexpected. But um, it was cool. 1995, you know, Undertaker showing up at Smoky Mountain Wrestling, wrestling against the gangsters. Also in 1995, it was a little bit of an incident. Um, You remember, uh, what was her name? Oh, Pamela Anderson. Remember she showed up for WrestleMania? She was in the corner of Shawn Michaels. Well, there was a tabloid magazine called The Star. And I don't know if it's Star Magazine or The Star. I mean, the official, you know, tidbits of history says The Star. But from what I researched, I think it was Star Magazine. But, you know, there was a lot of bullshit stories in those tabloids at that time. And they alleged at that time there was an incident involving Tommy Lee and Shawn Michaels backstage at WrestleMania. Uh, Shawn Michaels had given Tommy Lee a dirty look And basically Tommy Lee walked up to Shawn Michaels And said hey pal you got a problem with me And Shawn Michaels said no But you know your girl And she was mine before she was yours You know, So this was claimed In Star Magazine Now on eBay right now They have that issue Up for sale I thought about buying it just to see that story But I ain't spending 20 bucks I'll share it as a story here in this week in wrestling history, but you know, not gonna pay twenty dollars just to say, hey, yeah, they did write it. No. 1995 also, Sandman won the ECW television title uh, from Shane Douglas. This was a big deal because Shane Douglas that night had showed up with the Monday Night Raw T-shirt and he was leaving ECW to show up at WWF as Dean Douglas. So it was this week in 95 that uh, Shane Douglas was the beginning of the end of Shane Douglas in ECW at that time, and we would ultimately get vignettes of Dean Douglas in WWF. Also in 95, we got big news this week in 95. We continue on. Want to hear another New Jack story? This is more of the New Jack that we all remember. This is a pretty cool story. I don't know if Jim Cornette's ever told this story over the years, This uh, goes back from the archives. It happened this week in 95. Now, I don't know if the match with Undertaker happened maybe the week before and it was recorded for TV or maybe this was just earlier in the week or later in the week. But anyway, Smoky Mountain Wrestling was supposed to have another event this week in 95 in Erlinger, Kentucky, or Erlinger, Kentucky. It was going to be at a nightclub called Pial's Palace. And the club had a deal with Smoky Mountain Wrestling for a bunch of events at that uh, that nightclub. The last show that they had there, apparently there was a lot of damage in the club, a lot of ed- extra expenses, so the club told Smoky Mountain Wrestling, look, if you want to come here in the future, we got to renegotiate, have a better deal, whatever the fuck, rent, fine. Jib Cornette was under the impression that they would have the event this week at that nightclub and then negotiate a new deal after. And the nightclub said, no, we're not doing that old deal anymore. We have to negotiate a new deal. Otherwise, you know, you can't have your show here. So the night before the event, even though a couple hundred people had already bought tickets to go to the show, uh, Jim Cornette backs out and tells all the wrestlers for smoking out and wrestling, um, don't bother showing up. So because people were already going to be showing up for the wrestling event, the local promoters in the area, Bob Harmon, and Johnny Diamond, yes, for people that go back to my hotline days, that Johnny Diamond, they were going to put on a show featuring up-and-coming students from Harmon's Wrestling School and Les Thatcher's school. And they put signs in front of the nightclub, and they announced that there was Smoky Mountain Wrestling was not going to be there, but instead it was going to be a Northern Wrestling Federation show. So D'Lo Brown and New Jack show up anyway. And they saw what happened, they heard what happened, and they told the nightclub that, hey, they're there, they'll wrestle for free. And the nightclub was like, cool, that's fine. So New Jack and D'Lo Brown were hanging around the fans, and New Jack used to interact with fans a lot at shows. I mean, you know, he was one of the very cool people. But if you didn't have experience in the ring, he's going to fuck you up. And I'll tell everyone a really, really funny story, and. People are still alive. You know, a lot of people tell stories after people are dead. You notice that? I'll tell you a story right now and you could ask them and they'll tell you. When I was still doing events with Frank Goodman for shows, promoting them, you know, financially, you know, coming up with stuff, there was an event that was going to take place in Florida. I don't know, I'd say about what? Five, six, seven years ago? Somewhere around there? Anyway, um, I originally was going to fly to Florida and I was going to work on that show as a manager. Now, I don't know if I was going to manage Life Louis Ramos or if I was going to manage someone else, but they were going to do something where whoever I was going to manage was going to face New Jack. And this goes back to my original Facebook page before I, I'm talking about my personal page, before I got rid of everybody except for people I know personally. But what happened was there was some miscommunication and New Jack thought that I was going to wrestle New Jack on the show. New Jack shows up on my Facebook page, curses me out like you wouldn't believe. I'm going to beat your fucking fat ass. I'm not going all the way to fucking Florida to fight someone that don't, don't fucking, he never even did this or doesn't know this or that. He, because he does one thing with New Jack does not want to risk getting hurt and he doesn't want to be involved with anybody that doesn't have a real experience. All right? So it ends up, he finds out that there was never any intention of me having a match with him, I can assure you that. He apologized. He was really cool about it. I was laughing my ass off because people were alerting me, saying, like, did you see what's going on in your wall right now? And, you know, a lot of people I know personally, friends, family, relatives, you know, they're looking at It's like, what the hell's going on here? But so it was a miscommunication. It was funny. But anyway, they have this main event, and it's a ten-man elimination tag team match. New Jack does a run in, and remember, these are all students for the most part, and apparently, they're not wrestling good at all. Some of them were just beyond pathetic. Probably, you know, maybe even worse than me, arguably. And uh, there were accusations that New Jack really punched a few people in the mouth to one point when one wrestler needed twelve stitches. And uh, basically, there was another guy who took a move from New Jack and didn't sell it, so New Jack fucking clubbed him for real. And you know, the the, uh, the, the, the urban legend is that uh, New Jack was uh, tackled by security, and he then um, cops showed up, and he left. And he claimed later on that few people in the ring used the N word and this and that, but still, I mean, just legendary. But uh, I figured I'd share that little story. Now, look, some of this might not be 100% accurate. You know, this is, I wasn't there. But as far as my research and reading and people who were there and people who have commented over the years and some of the stuff that I pulled, that's pretty much the gist of the story. But, uh, so there you go. This week in 1995, Michael P.S. Hayes debuts on WWF Superstars as Doc Hendricks. Haircut, shaved, you know... Over-charismatic, uh, I think you could basically call it. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. My Doc Hendricks, anybody remember that? It happened this week in 95. And also, this week in 95, Triple H's first vignettes hyping up his uh, coming to WWF as Hunter Hertz Helmsley. His first ever vignette took place this week on WWF television and maybe have been on Superstars. And he caught a promo on the Bushwhackers, the Head Shrinkers, the Smoking Guns, saying that they don't have the level of class that he does. I looked online to try to find a promo. I can't find it, but I do know that it has happened, and it happened this week in 1995. 1996, unfortunately, you know, a lot of people think that this really started the down spiral of Brian Pillman's life, and it's sad. It was this week in 1996 where Brian Pillman was severely injured in his Hummer accident, fell asleep behind the wheel, hit a tree trunk, flipped the Humvee. I mean, you know the deal, how his ankles were shattered, uh, had to be fused together. And, you know, not only did it kill, no pun intended, it it ruined his high-flying style, but this led to an addiction of painkillers. And you have heard over the years the numerous throat surgeries that he had, He had injuries in wrestling many times years prior, but nothing on the level of an auto accident. And um, it was just really, really uh, fucked up. This was right smack in the middle of the bidding war between WWF and WCW for Brian Pillman. This was also at the time that Brian Pillman was in ECW. He showed up a couple of times, you know, he yanked out his Johnson and pissed in his hellhole, was gonna feud with Shane Douglas, had the accident, came back, I think next week or the week no, I think it's like two, three weeks from now, where he cut that infamous promo uh with Rob Van Dam by his side in ECW, and then he had the incident with New Jack backstage, which I'm sure a lot of people aren't even aware of. When it gets to that moment in history, we'll talk about it. But this was right smack in the middle of all of this. And just to show you how much in demand Brian Pillman was at that time, even with this injury. WWF signed him. They gave him a five-year contract that include two option years. And Brian Pillman, and I haven't found anything to be proven otherwise, he was the first man to sign a guaranteed contract with the WWF. Said, you think about it, you know, we're talking April 1996. By October of 1997, he was deceased. This week in 96 as well, the Ultimate Warrior makes his return to the WWF after a a three-and-a-half-year absence. Shows up on Monday Night Raw. Crowd went bananas. Banana for this guy. And I'm sure a lot of people forgot about this promo. I didn't. It was legendary at the time. Well, I loved it. It wasn't legendary, but I loved it. It's a memorable promo. I think people will remember because while he was talking about returning, Uh, Goldust came out And this was Goldust in the heyday Of his very controversial character You know Trying to like insinuate making the moves And Ultimate Warrior And Warrior had uh, a very Interesting reaction to it
1: Guy. One question would be, where have you been for three long years? You've been living in Montana, McMahon. Where all the lunatics live. Those places where a man goes that are of any real importance, Vince McMahon, are not places you will ever find up on a map. For a man to truly find himself. He has to go one place that we're all entitled to go to. Deep, deep, deep in the mind. In the three and a half years that I have been absent, there is one thing that would not die. The voices. The spirit of the warrior. You spoke to me. You spoke to me! All of you spoke to me! All of you! The very blood of your visions said one thing. We want it warrior, and we want it bad. We want to live one more time. IN THE POWER OF THE warrior. This guy's more of a lunatic than I thought! Yes, indeed. However, the new WWF Generation Superstars unquestionably will be coming at you. How will the Ultimate Warrior fare against the WWF New Generation Superstars? All the new challenges that come with the new generation, the power of the warriors will surely rise and meet each individual that oh, well, challenges here, that power. Here comes Goldust. Goldust is coming down the and aisle. In doing so, what's he gonna do? Get I the warriors to face? to raise the heights of their understanding and show them that they too can be of the spirit of the warrior. Ladies and gentlemen, the man who will face the ultimate warrior, April 28, the Intercontinental Champion, Goldust. 1979. You little warrior can come in my house, but nobody will be there. But perhaps maybe we could play some games, something like a superhero game. Maybe you could be Superman. <laughs> maybe I could. Climb on your back and we could take off and you could fly away with
3: me in the sunset. What do you think about that?
1: Hold it right there, freak. (laughs) Whatever you're trying to pull from the minds of those you screw with. Whatever those choose to do with what you dish out, let me make it perfectly clear what is, is, and whatever you're into, I don't give a sh. If you're looking for a full-length, action-packed adventure, I got a full-length movie for you. Me kicking your ass from beginning to end.
2: It's a shame going back at that time and realizing that he did not stay in the WWF all that long. He would ultimately leave, sign with WCW. You know, I still popped big time when he first showed up. I loved it. I remember doing the hotline at that time and people shitting on it and thinking it was stupid. And it was, the crowd went nuts. I'm sorry. You know, the way WCW used him is one thing, but the crowd just absolutely ate it up. But... Memorable moment on Monday Night Raw this week in 96. And to wrap up 1996, this week, USWA celebrated its 1,000th TV show on Memphis television. 1997, Vader, Undertaker, WWF, having a wrestling show in Kuwait. And prior to the event going down, Vader and Undertaker are on the local TV show, Good Morning, Kuwait. I don't remember the guy's name who was the host of Good Morning Kuwait, but he interviewed Undertaker and Vader, and things did not go as they planned. Or did they?
7: In, in Kuwait here, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you heard this before, that they say this wrestling is not for real. Is it like you, you act or...? Well... Let's put it
3: this way, what we do, if it is acting, we take a normal man and break him in half. You know, that's such an unoriginal question for someone to ask, Uh, you know, and it's so easy for people to pass judgment and make uh, all these, these, these questions about what wrestling is. Wrestling is one of the finest athletic endeavors that you will ever see. Not only do you get the best of athletics, but you get people who can actually sell tickets by just their character alone. There's several people who can care whether or not I'm rest- I can wrestle or not, but the message that I bring when I go to the ring, my creatures of the night, they don't care what it is. But I mean, let me assure you, it's the most physical thing that you would ever do in your life. نعم
7: يمكن ما قدرت تتابع بشكل عام لكن اعتقد انه ملخص كلامه انه هي اللي يقولها إن هي مزيفة او تمثيل هو خاطئ لانه لو كانت مزيفة يعني مزيفة كان ممكن ان شخص عادي يعني بالحجم العادي ودصونا نصين يعني حسب كلامه in uh, ال, ال, وال, um, is it just for the wrestling shows that excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, I'm sorry, yeah you gave him a chance to respond to yeah, that question this is, this is the question I'm gonna ask you now I'd like okay, to respond well. to the same question okay, please, go ahead well, my astute colleague, the heavyweight champion of the
5: world very diplomatic individual. I'm perhaps not quite so diplomatic. In fact, I find your, your question and uh, your remarks insulting to what I do. Physically, no man can do what I do in the ring. If they could, why wouldn't they be out there making the type of money we make and enjoy the type of fame and lifestyle that we enjoy? So I find your remark and your question insulting
7: it's not my question. It's somebody who pe- the- the- Does that fucking feel fake, huh? Does that feel fake? Does it? Oh, no, no. Just Why don't you come down tonight? And before I kick his ass, I'll kick your ass.
5: Okay. Oh, All right.
7: No, just calm down.
5: Don't hey, we're not here to be insulted. I'm not here to be insulted.
7: Okay. Right. Um. Now, the
2: reason why I made that little remark at the end, that did they go as planned? Well, I shouldn't have said it like that. You know, there's been a little bit of a dispute over the years. Was Vader, was it planned that Vader was going to grab the host in Kuwait, was he going to, you know, get angry at the question, is wrestling fake? Is it an act? You know, Jim Cornette in recent years has commented about this incident and he insists that none of it was planned. it, It wasn't an attack.
8: Leon was being Leon and the guy, and as a matter of fact, I just saw this on Botchamania. Uh, Somebody mentioned that I was on because there was some highlights of Vader and I hit the botchamania thing. Um, Leon was doing a good morning Kuwait, and the Kuwaiti host said something derogatory to wrestling, and Leon got up and and basically snatched him, right? Leon was just carried away with being Vader, and the goddamn guy got hot about it. I guess you don't do that shit over there. Then Leon found it. We we, we were at Vince's dining room table. Let's see, April 11th. What day would that have been? April 11th. Uh, Okay, yeah, Kuwait. See, that whole week. Um, I guess it was, yeah, it was either that day or maybe over the weekend or whatever the fuck. When Kuwait returns, Leon didn't. (laughs) Vince got the call and we started calling Vader our man in Kuwait because they kept him and were going to decide what to do. And they're making phone calls trying to help him and trying to get him out of there. And finally, I don't remember how long he may have stayed a couple of weeks. And finally, they let him come home. But no, it wasn't planned. And you can watch it on YouTube. It wasn't that it wasn't that big a deal. But goddamn, he did. Leon, Leon would snatch me. I was his manager. He'd snatch me hard. Oh, there's the microphone. One time he snatched me. I had his his black leather gloves. The color came off on my jacket. He snatched me a so hard. job. Why was just like, tell him, Jimmy. He wasn't even mad at me.
2: Now, Vader, on the other hand, has a little bit of a different account as far as what went down.
5: There was an American uh, director and uh, an English producer, Mm -hmm. and uh, they told me when I walked in there and listened, you know, we're going to take advantage of you guys. We we want the highest-rated show, uh, not this week, but the highest-rated show in the history of the show. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, what can you do, you know? He's, here's a list of questions. And the very last question was, you know, his wrestling fake, you know, uh, you got this mask. Can you go crazy and turn over some tables and jump up, you know, and kind of grab his tie? You know, and if you look on the tape, I didn't grab it. I just kind of, you know, loose, you know, and can you do that? And uh, Dave Hebner um, uh, actually heard him tell him to, to do that, right? But the, the announcer was live on, on set. Yeah. He was live on set, and they did not go over this with him.
9: Yeah.
5: He was live on set, and one, like, we broke, and this is what we're going to do the a little skit at the end. I thought he'd been, uh, I naturally assumed he'd been told, hey, when you ask that, be ready, because yeah. he, he's going to go a little nuts, you know? Yeah. Nothing. And then it was like, you know, they were going to pull a joke on him, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. So uh, he said it, boom, and I flipped over the deal, and boom, jumped up, bam, 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 boom, boom, boom. Next thing I know, he gets up, he walks out. Me and Undertaker look at each other. and am like, well, well, you know, yeah. what's going on? And um, so we went over to the magistrate that day, and uh, the people, the producer, called in and said, yeah, we did tell. They confirmed what I said. And he said, well, well we're concerned you can leave. You know, and uh, you know, I, I wrestled that night. I was going to leave town. And then uh, uh, what happened was... Uh, uh, the announcer filed charges, and when he did, um, um, I had to get an attorney and go through the process. Well, that was Friday, and that Saturday started a religious holiday oh. for two weeks. Oh. And you couldn't do nothing. So, I mean, the the two weeks was simply because it was a holiday. I mean, I, I'd have been out of there the very next day. I would have hired an attorney. Yeah. We'd have got a hold of the producer and director. They would have and said, No, we told the guy to do this. It's not yeah. his fault. And I, I would have been sent home. Because I mean, a day and a half after the holidays, overall it gone. Yeah. So it was just, yeah. it happened on a, he filed charges on a Friday, and that Saturday was a two-week religious holiday. So,
9: wow. Were you, in, were you in your hotel room or were you in the prison?
5: I never, I was in a, um, I was in, a, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone thinks I was in a, I was in a $600 a night resort called the Radisson Sauce. Yeah. And I had bonds, uh, I could eat five meals a day. Uh, uh, jet skis, pool, saunas, massages—anything I wanted, I could just sign for. It. Wow. And it was—it was great. I—I <laughs> like, I I actually got a tan. You know, I, I don't tan easily. So. Uh,
9: did you but, think that it was going to be picked up nationally as far as the PR? I mean, it was on everywhere. You know?
5: That was—that was, that was uh, the World Wrestling Federation. And, uh, I think veiled attempted, to you know try to get a little. Little heat off me, yeah. You know, but uh, uh, yeah, you know, uh, no one was really upset at me. Everyone said you know, hey, they told you to do it, and you know, you did it, and, and Hebner heard it, and Hebner testified that fact. The producer called, yeah. You know, no one was really upset about me on, on that uh, about that. But uh, uh, I called Vince. I said, Vince, we're still going to do the deal with uh, with uh, Rocky, and he said, Well we've and we've had to make other plans now because you're going to be gone two weeks. You're wow. off to leave two weeks. So, I mean, it's like those those three, you know, the the monsoon thing and then uh, I think the thing with, uh, with Sean yeah. having us be the, the main event, uh, you know, for too much prior to our, our, our pay-per-view was definitely wrong. It hurt the ratings.
0: Yeah. And,
5: I mean, it's... You, you you know wrestling. Yeah. Um, you don't do that, right? Right, absolutely. You don't do it, absolutely. and yet it was done to me. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Kuwait thing, I take credit for, and it cost me the Intercontinental belt, so. Uh-huh. You know,
2: there's been a couple other wrestlers over the years who have gave their thoughts on this as well. What it sounds like to me is that the show knew that Vader was going to get a little angry at, you know, his wrestling an act, but I don't think it was expected for Vader to curse, which you're not allowed to do uh, in Kuwait, from what I understand. And I don't think the host knew that Vader was going to grab him. Now, did Vader hurt him? No, but, you know, this is a different country and people handle things much differently at that time. As you heard on there, Vader was in a resort. Now, I remember when that went down, this was at a point where we all thought that Vader was going to get hit with the Singapore cane. He was going to get those lashes. I don't know if anybody out there remembers that, because that's something that you don't really ever read about online. At that time, we thought, because there was an incident with a, if I remember correctly, wasn't there a U.S. tourist in a different country, I don't know if it was Pakistan or it was a different country at that time, it was a major news story, and maybe someone out there could uh, remember the story and tell me who it was. I didn't look it up, to be honest with you, and I'm not, because I'm focused on the wrestling history of this, but there was a U.S. American who was jailed overseas in some country, and his punishment was supposed to be like 50 lashes with the Singapore cane. And I remember people fearing that this person was going to die as a result of this because, you know, look, Sandman with the Singapore cane, I mean, that's probably the reason why ECW, you know, was using the Singapore cane as well because of the controversy of this person, not of Vader. Because Vader's incident happened in 97. Sandman was using the Singapore cane way before that. But I remember a U.S. incident. We all were worried that Vader was going to get lashes. But as you heard, Vader was in a resort. But he was there for about two weeks. Oh, yeah. Another event happened this week in 1997. You know, it's one of those where were you when this happened moments. I remember where it was. I remember the emotion. I have it on videotape still. I recorded it myself. I remember it starting at 9 p.m. later because that's the only way the pay-per-view companies would allow it to take place. We talked last year on the uh, how this could have happened six months earlier if it wasn't for the mass transit incident in ECW, but it was this week in 1997, ECW had its first ever pay-per-view, Barely Legal. And I wanted to tribute Barely Legal with four or five minutes of audio, Problem is, when I started gathering highlights of matches and promos, I realized I'd have a 20-minute segment here. And because of so many other things I had to cover, I wanted to do something a little different. And then I remembered Beyond the Mat, one of the greatest documentaries I've ever seen. I mean, if not my all-time favorite amongst any documentary ever in wrestling, Beyond the Mat, was just fucking incredible. I loved it. I mean, it was just so unique at that time it was just fucking phenomenal and they did a segment of not only about ECW and Terry Funk but they did a segment about Barely Legal on that documentary and i decided yeah you know what i'm going to play that so here's a little tribute ECW Barely Legal leading up to it little backstage promo from Paul Heyman as well and enjoy ECW ECW
9: No wrestling group was more violent than ECW and no fans scared me more.
1: Fuck WWL! Fuck the Fuck them all. You're looking at hardcore, swinging straight, and we're too damn ugly to be in any cartoon. ECW's
9: And this incredibly violent product. It's produced out of this peaceful house in a New York it's suburb.
1: ECW, Extreme Championship Wrestling, Wrestlepalooza 98, Tickets on Sale, and Ticket. It. Fuck.
9: It's time that we play a game of truth or consequences. You're good. ECW it. is run like a commune. We have a better one. Its spiritual leader and owner, Paul Heyman. I like it. truth or consequences. Everybody pitches in. Would have to Promos Joe. are done downstairs while mom irons. Here it's a simple philosophy. Everybody wants the other guy to get better so that they have someone else to work with. ECW is the Ellis Island of wrestling, where old wrestlers go to be reborn and young wrestlers go to be discovered. The best part of my job is watching people who never knew that they could, who never dreamt that they could, but wanted it but didn't really believe it. And when they start to believe it, it's better than anything in the world that you can have because it's it's, it's like watching your children make it, you know? It's it, it's just it's there.
1: Let us in! Yeah! Let us, in! Let us in! You, lean back, you hold it for all your
9: This wasn't an ordinary show for Paul and Terry. It was ECW's first pay-per-view. If it didn't succeed, neither would ECW. Pay-per-view!
1: availability for this show tonight and we'll pay $20 hopefully for the privilege to see you guys do what you have done for three and a half years thank Terry Funk for all he's done for this company for help putting us on the map for being unselfish in selfish times for taking the young guys and showing them a better way tonight we have a chance to say yeah you're right we're too extreme We're too wild, we're too out of control, we're too full of our own shit, or we have a chance to say, hey, fuck you, you're wrong. Fuck you, we're right. Because you have all made it to the dance. Because believe me,
2: this is the dance. the Show! By the way, that little audio song. I don't know if anybody's ever heard that before. That's a theme that I don't think was ever released that I actually got a kick out of. That's from the ECW video game. (laughs) That's why you hear little bangs in the background. I, I, I edited out a lot of the bangs. But it got to the point where I was like, I don't know if it's worth spending an hour editing this song so perfectly that you could fucking play it as a theme on your phone or something. I mean... I just I gave up after editing about half of it. But for those that are curious... And that was going to be my original intro for this week's episode. That's why I even have the music playing. But I once I heard the Scott Steiner stuff, I was like, Ah, oh, you know what? A little tribute to our troops is always a good thing. I decided to go with Steiner instead. So, barely legal. Fucking just great memories. Nineteen. Speaking of great memories, 1998, Bison Smith makes his pro wrestling debut. Bison Smith, God rest his soul. I know a lot of you remember him from uh, Ring of Honor, Puerto Rico. He was an avid listener of our show. I was friends with him. And I still have his email saved from my old WrestleCast email because uh, I got an email from him about two days before he died. He was We were to- just talking back and forth about the, one of the early episodes that we did. And uh, he was a really, really good guy. Taken from us way too soon. So, uh, Bison, never forget you, my, fr- my friend. 1998, uh, Hideo Takayama lost a hair versus max match. He was part of a tag team with Koto Fuyuki. And uh, they wrestled against Hayabusa and Masato Tanaka. It happened in FMW. And it was for the FMW Brass Knuckles Tag Titles. 1998 as well, we had the infamous turn where Mick Foley as Dude Love turned on Steve Austin. And uh, you might remember there was Mick Foley teasing he was going to beat up Vince McMahon in the ring. Steve Austin was behind Foley. Dude Love turns around and gave Steve Austin a mandible claw. And that's when we started having Mick Foley aligned with Vince McMahon. And as you saw in the synopsis, no, it's not funny. funny. The idiot of ringside, you know, smiling. I just thought, wow, what a dick. Yes, we are in a different world compared to 20-plus years ago, but it was just interesting. I figured I'd share it. This week in 1998, there was an episode of Monday Nitro. Chris Jericho was coming out for his match and in, you know, vintage WCW TNA style. I don't know what it is, but you know, so many people never knew how to spell in their signs. Not only did this idiot spell Chris Jericho's name wrong, but he's sitting right along the entrance ramp, and he's got this gigantic sign that says Jericho is gay. So I just figured I'd share it. If you look at the synopsis for this week's episode, it's there. Dumb sign. Dumb sign. 1999, Roar is War. Steve Austin and The Rock had an incident on a bridge. I wanted to play this audio, but they did it in three different segments, and the, the audio would not do its justice. This was when The Rock was on a bridge waiting for Steve Austin to show up, And The Rock beats up Steve Austin, tosses him over the bridge, and then throws Steve Austin's uh, championship belt, the skull belt, over the bridge as well. Well, you might remember, not too long ago, Steve Austin, when we did This Week in History, Steve Austin had thrown The Rock's IC championship off the bridge. So The Rock was gaining some revenge on Austin almost a year later. But still, it happened this week in 1999. Now, we go to 2000. And this was a big week in wrestling history as well. I tell you, I look at reviews of this episode in Nitro over the years, and this episode is criticized quite a bit. And I don't know because the the end thing to do is to rip Vince Russo as much as people can, and you know, not everybody does it, but. You know, just so undeserving in a lot of ways. I'm a fan of Vince Russo's, and I've defended him. I've criticized some of his stuff as well. You know, I'm not going to be blinded, you know, by every little thing, but he does not deserve the amount of criticism that he gets. It's just, it just reminds, I'm not trying to put him in the same categories, the Ultimate Warrior, one's a wrestler, one's not, but it just so reminds me of the self-destruction of Ultimate Warrior. You know, so, I mean, a majority, a majority, a majority of wrestling fans in the wrestling community, wrestlers, everyone, the majority of them shitted on The Warrior when that self-destruction video came out. Then all of a sudden, you know, it's like, you know, the, the bandwagon broke down and everybody jumped off of it. I take pride in knowing that I never joined that bandwagon. And it just feels like there's a big bandwagon right now with Vince Russo, and it's so undeserving. But I watched this episode this week in, in history for the year 2000. Monday Nitro, they did the reboot. They stripped every one of the titles, okay? Sid Vicious, Sid Vicious, he was stripped of the WCW World title. Jarrett was stripped of the U.S. title. Harris Brothers, tag titles. Brian Nobbs, hardcore title. The artist formerly known as Prince IOK, okay, the Cruiserweight title. And Hacks saw Jim Duggan's world TV title. Now, the TV title, I believe, never came back after that. But they decided Vince Russo was going to strip everyone of the belts and then do a tournament, give everyone a fair shot. This was the beginning of the storyline with the New Blood versus the Millionaire's Club. And we originally thought that Bischoff and Vince Russo were going to feud with each other. Bischoff was going to represent the Millionaire's Club. Vince Russo was going to represent the New Blood. And, you know, look, you look in the ring and there's a couple of wrestlers that technically weren't the new blood of WCW. But still, it was fine. But I don't know. I watched this episode from beginning to end and it's one of my favorite Nitro episodes of all time. One of my favorite. I mean, sure, Ric Flair and Shane Douglas didn't get the buzz in the feud that it should have. You know, up until that point, Ric Flair was not going to work a promo a program with Shane Obviously, things changed for the sake of WCW. You know, you also had a surprise um, uh, appearance by a champion from another organization, which we'll get into in a little bit. Ric Flair's promo that night was fucking great on Bischoff. It was just, I don't know. I enjoyed it. So I'm going to give you right now a boatload of audio clips, highlights from this week in WCW, Monday Nitro, the year 2000. And I honestly think you will be tremendously entertained and especially now with all these years gone by. Now you understand, you know, the little innuendos about the pencil. Think Brian Pillman, Kevin Sullivan. You hear Bret Hart calling Kevin Nash the pencil and he's going to be the eraser. We played that not too long ago. You know, a lot of little, you know, little digs that they took uh, towards people And you look back on it in wrestling history And you realize, okay, now I understand why he said this Now I know why he said this Now I know why this So I look back at this episode One of my favorite of all time So first I present to you The introduction of Vince Russo on camera For WCW Titles being stripped Interaction with Eric Bischoff
4: (laughs) So many times we come on this telecast and we say that, boy, tonight we have this, and tonight we have that, and tonight we can't wait to see this. Tonight, we
1: don't know what's going on. What we've got is a ring and a ringside full of WCW talent. And all we know thus far, Vince Russo has
4: called the meeting. Is he going to clean house? Is it going to be a wholesale firing of this group in the ring and at ringside right now? Are we going to be here for the entire show? Who knows? Vince Russo, the powers that be, has a message for WCW.
10: When I came to WCW some six months ago, I told everyone that I was the chosen one. I was hand-picked to be the next WCW world champion. My future was in the hands of the man who had the biggest hand in turning the WWF around. I know because I was there. Well, somewhere along the way, our master plan got derailed by a pack of good old boys who couldn't compete and weren't even in his league and they knew it. Well, I've just got one thing to say. Yeah, I just got one thing to say to that bunch of slap nuts sitting at home watching on TV tonight. What goes around, comes around. So without further ado, it is my honor and my privilege to introduce you to the man who who once was Vince McMahon's best kept secret, who will once again change the game. The power
1: is Vince Russo! Vince Russo said he'd never appear on camera, ever. What's this all about? Well, it must be big for him to appear on camera. You're right, we all knew that. The man
4: behind the powers that be for many months in WCW is walking back in for the first time ever seen on camera. Vince Russo, the man that changed WCW as we knew it late last year, then kicked to the curb. He is back and in charge
1: right now, and I am scared to death of what he's got to say. Well, no, hold on. He's not in charge by himself, Scott. He's not in charge by himself. Yes, where is Eric Bischoff? I don't know.
11: No, you know, after giving six years of my life to the World Wrestling Federation. I came to WCW with one thing in mind. And that was to beat Vince McMahon at his own game. And you know what? Within a matter of weeks, the new blood in WCW, were not only getting back in the game, they were changing the game. And that's when the good old boy network kicked in. Afraid of change, and more importantly, afraid of their jobs, the political BS took place in the back to bring Vince Russo down. And you scum at home know who you are because you're watching me now. And then one day I'm told that there's gonna be a change in direction. A change that I knew sucked. And you know what? I wasn't the only one who knew. Benoit knew, Guerrero knew, Saturn knew knew, Douglas knew, and they left, they're gone. Scott Steiner, he knew it, and they suspended his ass. But you know what? That's all over now. It's done, and Vince Russo is back in charge again. And I want to turn around and I want to say, to everybody in this ring, it is over. The old boys' management is over. The inflated egos in the back afraid to lose their spot, it is over. It is the dawning of a new day. It is your opportunity, seize that opportunity. Are you done yet?
1: Here it is, Bischoff Russo, round one! Here we go, round one! This is what
4: everyone knew would go down. He cut it right off, and my God, there he is.
1: How long is never in pro wrestling? We just found out. I've either died and gone to wrestling heaven, or I've woken up in wrestling hell. This is the most surreal moment I've ever seen in sports entertainment. Eric Bischoff walks back into the program
4: that he established back in 1995 on this network. So you look at the talent surrounding the ring, and the faces still, they still don't know what's up. We don't know what's up. Neither do we. But this confrontation that we anticipated, well, the anticipation is over. It's right
11: before us.
8: What? No
1: way. They're on the same side? Something. This man, Vince Russo and I, have more in common than anybody knows, but the big thing is the fact that we were both screwed by the same good old boys network. Vince is right, those days are over, but it's okay, I don't even mind. And you know why I don't mind? Because it's giving me a hell of an opportunity to think about all the great things I did here in WCW. But it's also given me an opportunity to realize the mistakes I've made. Mistakes like Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Sting, Diamond Oh yeah, let's not forget, Sid wished he was vicious. But you know what the biggest mistake I've ever made? I mean, this is a real big one. Hulk Hogan. Oh God. Wait a minute, he's always been a Hogan backer. I can't believe it. I'm sorry, I really am sorry. Everybody told me he would screw me. He would use me. They said, do not look into that red and yellow light because you will be blinded. Well, I was blinded. But tonight, I've got 2020 vision. I'm seeing real clearly for the first time in a long time. And right now, I want to apologize to everybody in this ring, the new blood. And I want you guys to know that if there's anything that I can do for Vince Russo that will help you, I am there for him, I am there for you, because it is a whole new WCW. And where are they? Where are they? Where is Diamond Dallas
11: Page? Where is Sting? Where are they? I think they're hiding in the back with the old tail between the legs. huh. Oh. oh, my.
1: I am not believing what I'm seeing. Looks like we got us a little party. Hey, and for once, you guys look like you showed up ready for work can't believe what I've heard. And what's up, shit? No softball game? Ooh. How about you, Lester? No golf game today? No lunch with Michael Jordan? Hey, DDP, what about those seven fans of yours down at the trailer park wanting to have an autograph for you on your new book? What about that? And Singer, what, no Hollywood premiere tonight? I'm really glad you all came to work. What's the matter, Paige? Nothing to say? Bischoff, I don't know what the hell you're smoking, but you better step off! Yeah. Screw you, Paige! You wanna know something? If it wasn't for me, you wouldn't be here tonight. You'd be schlepping drinks at some rundown redneck bar in the middle of Florida. Telling the world that you're friends with Bon Jovi. You know, where were you for the last six months? Well, I've been sitting home unemployed. Huh? How about you, Singh? Who's the guy that rebuilt your career? I'll tell you who it is. The same guy that made Lex Luger a multi-millionaire when the WWF didn't want to have anything else to do with them. That's who it is. Wow. Everything he's saying is true, everything. And what about you, Sid? Well, I'll tell you what, guys. I made you. I could sure as hell break you. But this time, it's gonna be a little more fun. And it's gonna be a little more fair. This
11: time, it'll be a level playing field. And you know what, Eric? Before we get into that level playing field, I have something that I want to say that's a little personal because I know he is back there, hiding as well. And I got something that I wanna to say to Ric Flair. Cheer for him, because you know what? Ric Flair, you are a piece of oh on the bottom of my shoe. Oh boy. And brother, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna scrape off that and flush your ass down the toilet personally. Now Jeff, Jeff, this is where you gotta trust me. Eric said this is gonna be an even playing field and we're gonna start a new day right now tonight. So Jeff, I'm gonna ask you to hand that US title over to me. That's right Jeff. All titles will be stripped tonight. It'll be a brand new playing field. Come on Jeff, trust me. Trust me. There,
4: there are the world tag team belts from the Harris brothers. Taking those, this is unbelievable.
1: Talk about a new beginning. We have no champions. They said there's only one more bout left, and you know who's wearing it. He's telling Sid Vicious to give up the world heavyweight title. Unbelievable! Okay, Tell you what, you want to get this belt? Bring your scrawny little ass over here and take that. Oh, you knew it was going to happen. Yeah, you he, knew it. Absolutely, you knew
4: that's okay. You knew that Sid Vicious would and look at
1: Bischoff said okay and Bischoff is leaving the ring has everyone completely flipped Eric Bischoff it looks like he might get Sid his face Tony he has slipped the gear he's going to confront the Millennium Man and just take the World Heavyweight Championship belt come on Sid hand it over what do you want to do you want to lay me out Sid I know you can do it. Hell, I know you can do it. But here's what'll happen I'll heal. And when I get done healing, I'll spend the rest of my life knowing that you're unemployed. So here's the deal either lay me out, take your chances, or hand over the belt. It's your choice, big man. What's he gonna do? What can he do? Hell, I've been beat up before. It won't be the last time. What a the Give the belt to Bischoff or go Command Point. Of line. Can't find your scissors. Wow! Whoa. Come on, Sid. Sid, what's the matter, Sid? Can't find your scissors? Come on, Sid, give the boss the belt. Come on, man. Don't let me push your buttons, Sid. Wouldn't want to see your pop go crazy, Sid. See you ruin your career, Sid. He's pushing it. The long, lonely life in West Memphis, Sid. See you on the 16th, Spring Stampede. That's when the real world heavyweight champion will wear the belt actually turned it over to Bischoff.
4: Look
1: at that intensity. Oh, does he want to tear Eric Bischoff apart? Hey, Eric's the boss. You can't hit the boss. He's the boss. I'll tell you what, I like these new bosses already. I don't know about you two, but I like them. We have no champions. And he said, we'll see you at Spring Stampede.
4: And this Sunday at Spring Stampede, It looks as if we're going to crown
1: a brand-new champion. Am I reading into that right? Not just a brand-new champion. We're going to have a new world champion, U.S. champion, tag champion, hardcore champion. Whatever belts we have, they're all up for grabs at Spring Stampede.
4: Confusion reigns everywhere.
2: Now, as far as who won the titles at Spring Stampede, that happened this week also. It was, you know, six days later. I'll get into those title changes in a moment. But first, I want to share with everyone Ric Flair's promo. Now, when they did this segment with Bischoff and Vince Russo, Ric Flair, apparently in storyline, had not seen the footage yet. He was watching it backstage on a monitor after the fact. So Ric Flair hit the ring, cut this promo, and you know would get attacked by Shane Douglas immediately thereafter. Now, remember... Shane Douglas, the story was, and I don't want to get into the whole gist of it, but Shane Douglas was also rumored to have left WCW to go to WWF. And Shane Douglas changed his mind, and he stood. So that's why we only had the four radicals show up on WWF television. So Shane Douglas technically was looked at as being gone from WCW when this went down.
1: just giving me the green light. I said it last week. I said, I can't say how I feel about you. In 10 seconds, give me 10 minutes. Here's the deal, Rousseau. Here's what you can't say. You came from another to save us. My friend, you grew up watching me, pal. You know it. You know it. You live with it every day of your life. You want to call me old. Put the word on. be great. You think in this town that every time Brian Greasy throws a touchdown, they forget about John Elway. Elway's the man. Elway. Elway. Doesn't mean that Brian Greasy ain't a player, but Elway's the man. And if you're from New York, if you're from New York, what you better get used to, if you grew up look at Yankee Stadium, you saw Joe, you saw the baby, you saw the Nick, put Rick Flair right next to him, that drives you crazy, pal. This is the only, this is the only business sport in the world that you get your ass kicked for, for getting old. Pal, forget about old, I got great. Soderhogen, Soderson, cage. Not all of us have always agreed, but we've all got great based on our own ability. On lifetime. you couldn't show me. I go swear. You are at a jock You are to stop me? Here's the deal. I saw Bischoff. And for whatever problem I have with him, at least he's got the guts to walk up the vision. Russo, I ain't spending 200 grand again on Bill Dale and John Taylor. You come out here right now, Russo. You got a problem with me? Get me off the bottom of a shoe right here in Denver. Come on. He's
4: calling out Russo. Kidman called out Hogan. I don't... The world has gone up such us. That's not the Russo's music, is no, it? No, that's not. Oh man, remember what happened in February. This man, the loose cannon, Big Papa Pump, Scott Steiner. I mean, Tony,
1: let's How call it like it is. Like a, uh-oh. The last time hey, this happened... Oh. i you in the back on the minor! And twice frankly, you're boring me to death! here and did an interview on you, you obviously listened because you bleached your teeth, but you are still crooked as hell. And after I did that interview, you and your old bastard friends tried to get me fired. But that didn't surprise me none, because if you look up at the W now as see who's been a champion up there, with the exception of one person, they've all come from here. It's just that you and your old bastard friends ran him out so you could be a 14-time world champion. And that don't mean shit to me. Because I see that fat ass right there in a front row with no teeth, he could have been a 14-time world champion if he had all his friends pulling the strings. Now look at you. I see a confused look on your face. So I'm going to put it to you in another way. I know there's no way in hell I can ever bring you up to my level, physically or mentally. So I'm going to lower myself to what you are. That's low-class white trash from Charlotte, North Carolina. Wow. Oh. So see! If you can guess who I am now me, me! Uh-oh. I'm literally riding, just fighting, backstabbing son of a bitch! I got more new skin than a side face to me! But Hold on a- a second. Jane, oh, Jane, Jane Douglas! You know. Jane Douglas! Where, oh, did, where did he come from? He
4: was gone with Benoit and He doesn't even work here anymore?
1: He was gone. He was gone when Russo left. You'd be a 14-time world champion. Don't be shit. Flair's out. He got him from behind and he's out. And security is trying to get Shane Douglas out of the
2: building. Who doesn't even work here? My God. Flair, what's next? And finally. Controversy, controversy, controversy. Kevin Nash cutting a promo, middle of the ring, and a champion from another organization who was champion at the time, heavyweight champion, made a surprise appearance. Denver, <laughs> Big Sexy,
1: man! I got this right. We got a couple of jackoffs in the back running around, deciding whose careers they're gonna make and whose they're gonna break. And to add insult to injury, these two jackoffs have decided that they're going to play wrestler and attack the boys. Now granted, after traveling up and down the road the last 10 years with Scott Hall, I've lost a couple of brain cells. My question is, what the hell happened to that sweet little wrestling show we were doing every Monday? I mean, where in the hell is the dog when you need him?
12: Get a hold of yourself, Kevin. You know, Russo, Easy. e
1: I'm going to give you guys an opportunity. I just got off the phone with Scott, and you know what? Scott's straight, Scott's sober, and Scott's in a real bad mood. So why don't we cut to the chase, boys? But you know what? The way I look at it, Neither one of you two guys would be here right now It was for Scott and I. Russo, you know for a fact, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, when you were in the World Wrestling Federation, saved you from being decapitated from Shawn Michaels on numerous occasions. Wow. Oh, boy. You ever know, hear that on this program? Never. And you, Easy, if it wasn't for the Outsiders, There'd have been no NWO. And you know what? You'd still be bringing Bert Gagne's coffee up in Minnesota.
4: Ouch. We're shooting here.
1: You guys want us out. You want me out. Hey, buddy. You two guys, it's real simple. But if you're going to come down here, bring your bat. Bring your chair. And most importantly, bring your ball. Oh, boy. Message heard and received, I guess. Wait, Hang on, Holy, That's... That is Mike Awesome! He's the the
5: heavyweight champion of
1: ECW! The last time we saw him, he had that belt, and what's he doing here? Doesn't he have some kind of title defense? He's got a lot of nerds just walking on
4: this program! Mike Awesome, the ECW World Heavyweight Champion, just wiped out
1: Kevin Nash! I can't when I heard Bishop and Russo were back in the saddle here at WCW. I knew this was just too sweet of an opportunity to pass off and breaks the crutch over Kevin. What else can happen on this show? I got what else? Michael Austin.
2: Now I had. Wrestling-news.com at the time. I think it was WrestleGuide.com. And I remember covering the story of Bubba the Love Sponge reporting on his radio show that Mike Awesome walked out of ECW and is going to show up on Monday Nitro with the title. Now, Obviously, he didn't have the title in his hand when he attacked Kevin Nash. And this is because there was negotiations going on between WCW and ECW leading up into that Monday Nitro. I don't want to get into every little detail as far as what went down, but from what I recall from it, and again, you know, this is just my memory. Number one, Mike Awesome no-showed, I think, two events for ECW. First time he no-showed, he said he had travel problems. The second time, I think he said that he was, you know, he arrived, but still didn't show up, and then all of a sudden was not returning anybody's calls on his cell phone. ECW found out that Mike Awesome had jumped ship. Mike Awesome I believe claimed that he was owed money at the time and WCW signed him. I don't know if the contract was 700,000 or 900,000, but basically the rumor is is that WCW paid ECW a, a lump sum of cash and then they also agreed that they would announce on Nitro that Mike Awesome is the ECW heavyweight champion, but they were also going... They were supposed to tell the crowd that Mike Awesome was supposed to uh, defend his title, I think, the following week in Indianapolis. And if you listen to that footage again, I think it was Scott Hudson that said, isn't he supposed to defend his title? Like, they did not mention Indianapolis, and that was part of the original agreement. But still... I mean, it was just really fucked up at the time. A lot of ECW wrestlers were angry to the point that when Mike Awesome, who did show up and created history, you know, and over the years, I totally understand why young wrestling fans who weren't fans at the time, you know, trying to guess and figure out and assume and uh, try to understand why things went down and why they went with Taz and this and that. I think it's just simple, plain and simple. But what ended up happening was Mike Awesome showed up in Indianapolis. He showed up with WCW Security. He stood at a different hotel. And when he showed up, he came through the side of the building, did not go in the locker room. There was uh, word that Mike Awesome was worried that he was going to be attacked by wrestlers. And Mike Awesome had a 75-second match with uh, Taz And remember, Taz was a WWE wrestler at the time. He was not under ECW contract. Taz makes a surprise appearance in ECW. Taz goes on to defeat Mike Awesome for the heavyweight title. Immediately, why am I talking? Why don't you hear the footage instead? This is a live interruption of ECW on TNN.
1: Last night in Indianapolis, Mike Awesome showed up on an app just like he did Monday night on Nitro to beat the living crap out of Kevin Nash. The entire locker room has been wiped out by Rhino and the network, but Taz, of all people, Taz is here to stand up for ECW, to stand up to Mike Awesome, Does the WWF even know about this? Taz is in Indianapolis to face the ECW World Heavyweight Champion, Mike Awesome, who sold his soul to WCW. The bell has rung. The bell has rung. This matchup, this impromptu matchup is for the ECW World Heavyweight title. Taz and Mike Awesome on the outside. It's the steel guardrail. The heavy hitter out of the red hook section of Brooklyn, New York. Taz, Taz is back. Taz now put into the steel, but just keeps coming at the look of fear on Awesome's face when he saw Taz. Referee Jim Molyneux is down, Molyneux is down. Jeff Jones giving a table to Mike Awesome. It's Tommy Dreamer, DDT, DDT, Dreamer DDT's Mike Awesome. There it is, the transmission. mission. The cut to Hajime, he taps, he taps, he taps. Mike Awesome, Taz! Mike Awesome, Taz! Yes, we have a new ECW World Heavyweight Champion! It's Taz! Mike Awesome is leaving! He's headed out the back door, the same way he came in. We've got a new ECW World Heavyweight Champion, and it's Taz? What the hell is going on here tonight?
2: Now, look, I don't mean to sound like a dick, but I've said this many times in the past. I think more than half the conversations that you read online, people having discussions, posting things on Facebook, message boards, forums, whatever. I think they're just lonely because you read more than half of the topics and it just it just. Seems like it's just I have nothing to talk about. So let me just come up with this and you know we can all talk about it. You know, I think that's really what it is. There's nothing wrong with socializing online, but sometimes I think people just throw shit up there just because they're lonely. But I have read in the recent couple of years, why did they go with Taz? You know, why not give it to an ECW wrestler right off the bat? Why did they do Taz? It makes no sense no sense. Makes a hell of a lot of sense. It was fucking history. Think about it. A WWF wrestler defeated a WCW wrestler for the ECW title. That's plain and simple. That's all it is. And Taz would ultimately lose the belt to Tommy Dreamer. And, you know, the rest is history. But that's why they did it. Plain and simple. They wanted to do something shocking. WCW fucked ECW. We'll fuck WCW back by having a WWF guy beat a WCW guy. Come on. It's not hard. That's what happened. Plain and simple. But it was great. Unfortunately, next week, you know, we'll cover a match that went down. A legendary match. On, I think it was SmackDown. I'm not going to give away what it was, but when I bring it up, I think people will remember it almost immediately. So, 2002 World Wrestling All Stars. They have their event, Eruption from Australia. It's a pretty decent card. AJ Styles defeating Jerry Lynn to win the International Cruiserweight Championship. Sabu over Devon Storm in a cage match. Uh, Medeja again over Queen B. Anybody remember Queen B? Scott Stein over Nathan Jones to win the World Wrestling All Stars Heavyweight Championship. Sid Vicious was the special enforcer. 2003 I played it at the beginning Here it is in its entirety We have Chris Nowinski and Scott Steiner Having a debate Talking about Iraqi freedom Well ladies and gentlemen
4: We are ready for the great debate You've heard of great debates in the past There was the Lincoln-Douglas debate There was the Kennedy-Nixon debate But tonight we have The Steiner-Nowinski debate. Now let me explain something here. Tonight's topic is Operation Iraqi Freedom. And in this this debate, Scott Steiner will argue in favor of the operation and Chris Nowinski will argue against it. Let me explain, gentlemen, the rules. Each participant will be given their opportunity to make their case and if either of the one of you interrupts, they will be disqualified.
12: Understand? Christopher Nowitzki, you're up first. Thank you. Well, first, I'd like to thank my esteemed colleague for being willing to take part in this gentlemanly debate. But I brought my mask just in case. Now, I would like to reiterate and expound the statements I made last week with the contention that America is using its vast military superiority in order to bully smaller nations. And I ask you, where does it end? Do we invade and overthrow every government that doesn't seem to share the worldview of our country's administration? Yeah, do we go invade Syria now, or North Korea? Or do we only invade countries that have oil? Let's face it, this war is unnecessary And ludicrous. Hey, while you may not like what I have to say, as an American, not only am I guaranteed that right to speak my mind by the Constitution, but it is my patriotic duty to do so. That's
4: a pretty powerful point of view. Scott Steiner, your rebuttal.
1: Throughout my career, I've wrestled in a lot of countries, but without a shadow of doubt, the United States of America is the greatest country of them all. See, we have fought to make this the land of the free and the home of the brave. And one of those freedoms is freedom of speech, the right to state your opinion. But as the saying goes, opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. even a master debater like yourself. <laughs> See, we as a country, we didn't start this thing. Terrorists started this, terrorism started this when they hijacked planes, flew into buildings on 9-11. Terrorism started this, and Iraq has been known to harbor, finance, support, and even train terrorism. They started it, terrorism started, not us. Terrorism drew first blood on 9-11 and you can bet your sweet ass we're gonna get even and we're gonna finish it. But the bottom line is, there are thousands of Americans, men and women, who are fighting for our freedom, making the ultimate sacrifice. They're the real heroes and I support them. So you, the Dixie Chicks, all those Hollywood nut Troops can go straight to hell.
2: Also that night, unfortunately, only a week after showing up in WWE, this nonsense went down.
7: Excuse me, Mr. Goldberg. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Someone is here to see you. To see me? Yes, sir. Who might that be? Uh, he claims to be a
3: relative of
7: yours.
3: A relative of mine? Yes, sir. Send him in. i got to call you back, man. Mr. Goldberg, I'm now. Oh, thank you, thank you. Wow! What is it? Gold dust. Finally! Goldberg.
1: We meet. man. Goldberg. how you doing, brother? Gold dust. <laughs> one big happy golden family. Wow. Now, The Rock's not here yet, but I want to welcome you. Be the first one to we- welcome you to the W.W.
6: <laughs> yeah, it,
1: uh, comp- the company, you know. I appreciate it very much, thank you. And, uh, well, thank you, and I have a gift for you, too. A gift for me? Yes. What might that be? You being here, and it's really
12: a privilege and an honor, too. Uh. Now, what You're in God's name am I going to do with that thing? Well, if, you know, um.
1: If you bear with me, just, just a little bit, and don't, don't, don't mind. Put it on your head, if, if it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> that looks good. Like twins. Yeah. You know, look, it's good, huh? Yeah, it's good, it's good. You know,
3: I appreciate it very much, I really do. Thanks for the gesture.
1: Oh, no, no problem.
3: But I gotta tell you, man, this thing looks a hell of a lot better on you than it does me. So no offense, really, no offense,
1: but I got to give that back to you,
3: man. Oh, one more
1: thing. Please, don't ever put that on my head again, okay? I appreciate it, okay? Okay, sorry. Oh, my God, I saw
6: my pants.
7: Got to
2: change them. I still remember Hotline's podcast talking about this at that time. Putting... The wig on Goldberg's head, I understand he pulled it off and he said, don't ever put it on my head again, but you just felt like, you know, this comedy was just not the way to go with Goldberg. And yeah, Goldust entertaining as fuck. Goldust did nothing wrong in this clip. But still, I remember fans across the board just totally, totally, you know, thinking, trying to do this comedy with Goldberg was a mistake. And I think looking back on it, people will agree with that. Now, I know some of you out there be like, I was just one promo. It's not the point. It was just, I don't know. I thought it was very stupid. 2004, Heavy Metal makes his pro wrestling debut. 2005, Drew Gulak makes his pro wrestling debut. And he won his debut match. He teamed up with DJ Hyde and defeated Maven Bentley, Robbie Moreno, and Sabian in a three-on-two handicap match for the... M-B-A, the Maven Bentley Association, promotion in Philly. 2005 as well. Uh, (laughs) I was going to play the audio, but it's a moment I don't think anybody out there, for the most part, looks back on it fondly. I know WWE talked about it. It was the anniversary of John Cena introducing us to the Spinner Championship. If you remember, JBL came out, and there was a brown box next to him, and he's got the old belt in his hand, and John Cena debuts the new belt, and it ends up that the box had gizzards inside, and it was just, I don't know. <laughs> it was. I didn't like it, and I, I never liked the spinner belt. It was cute and all that, you know, was, I don't know. I just, I didn't like it. 2006, Bull Dempsey makes his pro wrestling debut. 2007, someone makes their debut for WWF. I didn't like it. I know a lot of people did, and that's why I'm sharing it with all of you. Santino Morella makes his WWE debut. Raw took place that night in Milan, Italy. So how better to have a wrestler debut, but in his quote-unquote hometown? And let me just paint the picture for those that may have forgotten about it. We had Vince McMahon, freshly bald from the uh, WrestleMania match with Bobby Lashley and Umaga. Vince McMahon is in the ring with Umaga, basically open challenge for anybody in the back to take on Umaga. Nobody answers the challenge. Vince even puts the IC title on the line. Nobody accepts the challenge. Vince McMahon then decides he is going to allow a fan enter the ring. Now, thank God we didn't have a 10-year-old kid named Nicholas try to fight for the IC championship even though it would have been interesting against Umaga, but still Vince McMahon was scoping out the crowd and decided to go with this person. Hey you that guy right there in the brown shirt. No, no come on.
1: You can't be serious Let the guy in okay? Let him in, that guy the brown shirt. Come on, you get over the rail Oh, come on!
4: He was raising his hand, Jr.
1: <laughs> better raise him while he can. If this is... Hang on a second here, pal. Shoot. I know you're a little intimidated standing in the ring next to the Samoan bulldozer. Do you have a name? You understand? First of all, do you understand English? See, see, see. See. That's step number one. <laughs> Soccer chance. Yes. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? Shut up. Oh. That, that's gonna work. you will fire this entire entire audience. All right. For the benefit of this drunken crowd, where are you from? San Fili, Calabria. All right, right, before we get this thing started, I want you to understand something. We have something known in America as Hold Harmless Agreement. That means if Umaga destroys you, if he breaks your arm, your leg, if he gives you a concussion, You can't sue me, you can't sue him, you can't sue the WWE. Do you understand that?
6: Si, capisco.
1: He's not really gonna do this, is he? I would hope not. Your name again is what? Santino Marella. Okay, Santino Marella.
4: I don't think these fans know what they're getting this young man into.
1: I've never seen Umaga destroy and humiliate someone like him. Oh, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Take a look at this. What the hell is that? Again, my point, fashion capital of the world. Look at that. Look at this shirt he's got on there. What the hell's the matter with you? All right. You want to have a shot at this? All right, tell you what, give me a referee down here. Come on, let's make it official. Give me oh, a ref. man, come on.
4: The lawyers in the States are squirming it right it, now. Oh, I can't believe you could down. let him I can do this.
1: I mean, perfect for this okay.
4: All
1: right, we'll move everybody
3: back. Go ahead, move back.
4: Yeah, they really have a match
9: yeah. Whoa Look at this guy
1: He's like a walking billboard <laughs> WWE council just changed her to pins back in Stanford Here's a civilian coming out you of the ring st- the bell when I tell you to Santino think this over Alright don't say I didn't warn you this is going to be good, and this is all on you, people, okay? When you see Santino destroyed, it's all on you. Ring the damn bell. How in the hell is it all on you? Oh, the fans, Mr. McMahon, hey, Santino! Oh, umaga. Santino wanted some contact, and it looks like Santino's got a little bit of a little bit of fight in him. Look at those red shoes go! Santino Morella hey. and Umaga just struck the ring post. Oh, what an upset! Look at this this! No, it's not. He almost pinned Umaga. How did he, he do that? Santino Morella is sitting at ringside, except for this. Whoa 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 whoa. whoa, 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 whoa! Would you wait just a minute? No, no, wait a minute. No. You know what? Yeah, what? Hang on a second. There's been some misunderstanding here. Hang on. Get back in the corner. Okay. Peter. Okay, this is a no-hose-barred match. I forgot to announce that this is a no-hose-barred match. I meant to say that. Anything goes. Okay. And uh, let me explain that. Come on in. Let me explain. Come here, Santino. I want you to understand this. Ref, you understand this. Anything goes. No disqualification. None of that. You got it? I still don't know what the hell you're saying. No holes barred. Okay? Yeah?
11: No holds barred, Oh! hello!
1: <laughs> oh. Hello, Morgan, with a, with a cheat shot there on Santino Morello. Morello just almost got his head taken off. I think the fun and games are over now that Mr. Man has made this a no-hose barred match. Umaga versus a, a fan. Oh,
4: well Umaga jumped, what's his name? Santino? Yeah. Santino, while well, Santino was slapping the face of Armando now. Look at Armando. And there's nothing in
1: hey this match cannot be, cannot end on a disqualification. This could be a oh no. Oh. Man, I hope Santino didn't bring family here, because if they are here, they are witnessing.
4: Perhaps well, he, he needs to have family here. He's going to need a neck of kin.
1: Santino may never be the same after this experience with Umaga in no holds barred. At least it's not three on one, or or will it be? Oh, what do you think now? Umaga just caving in the chest cavity. Uh, Santino Morella. Stay the hell out of my way.
4: Young man from apparently not too far from Milan. Well, he's just limp now.
1: It's, yeah, he's it's finished. Santino defenseless against the Samoan bulldozer, one of the most dangerous WWE superstars that we've ever seen here on Monday Night Raw. Mr. McMahon is loving this destruction. Hey, wait! Hey, look at this! Bobby Larsley! Lashley is here Yeah! out And Lashley slammed Umaga right off the top Lashley heavily bandaged Lashley busted oh. open here last week We saw how that went down And look at the ECW champion
4: The big right hands landing by Lashley Upside the head of Umaga Now Umaga's down No. Oh. Down goes Estrada Uh oh wait a minute McMahon's got that steel chair again
1: Mr. McMahon with that steel chair. And, and Lord knows McMahon will use it. Oh, it's blocked! Lashley blocked. And the chairman getting on the ring at the speed of sound. Oh! Bam! And the Marcus staggered! Bam! Look at the, look at the eyes on Lashley! Can't believe it! That steel chair is dented! To the powerful spear, three tear shots and a spear, and Lashley putting Santino on top the kill. What? Yes, yes, yes. Oh my gosh. Santino Morella. But Bobby Lashley's huge assist has just scored the upset. Well, it was the whole barred of the century. There's nothing that can be done about this. It's official. Ladies and gentlemen, on the line. The new Look. Intercontinental Champion, Santino Marella. My God, I don't believe what I'm seeing. Santino Marella buys the ticket, sits at ringside, has the courage to accept the challenge. And with Bobby Lashley's help with a snow hose bar match, Santino Verralla, a complete unknown, is the coveted Intercontinental Champion.
4: And look at this celebration in Milano.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Can you believe how this night has started?
2: Hey, look. Italy obviously ate it up. You know, I I don't know. I I didn't like it. I I sorry I didn't like it. I just uh sentino up. No, that's not how we talk. You know, I I don't even like when when like the overly Italian like, "Hey, how you doing? Hey, give me give me a pack of marbles. Hey, how you doing? Give me a couple of scratches. Hey, still got uh, speed it up. I got shit to do. Come on. 2008, WWE decides to ban All photographers that are not employed from WWE from shooting ringside at televised events. House shows are fine. But you remember the days of all the cameramen around ringside taking photos? That stopped this week in 08. Also this week in 2008, CBS cancels a reality TV show series called The Secret Talents of the Stars. After one week. Why do I mention this? because Ric Flair was supposed to compete in this competition. And basically what they did was they took celebrities. You could argue if it was B celebrities or C list or D list or whatever, but basically there was going to be a tournament. I think four people every week show their talent, and then you'd have three judges, and I have my notes over here. The judges were, where are the judges? Debbie Reynolds, Brian McKnight, and Gavin Pallone. And the real judging was supposed to be done by the home viewers, but they were there to give their, I guess, two cents as well. So this was going to be a seven-episode competition, seven weeks. Because the ratings after week one was so pathetic, they canceled it after the first week. Would you like to know who was supposed to be doing what in this competition? Clint Black was going to do stand-up comedy George Takai was going to sing country music. Malcolm Jamal Warner was going to uh, do bass guitar for a hip-hop orchestra. Marla Maples, I'm sure that name has surfaced in recent years again. Uh, She was going to show off her gymnastics abilities. Joe Frazier was going to sing rhythm and blues. Bridget Marco. I think that's how you pronounce She was going to do trapeze work uh, for Cirque de Di- Soleil. I think that's how you say it. Maya was going to do her lap dancing uh, skills. Danny Bonaduce was going to ride a unicycle. Sheila E. was going to juggle with the flying Car, car- Carazmo. Carazmo. Karamazov. Caraz- Caraz- car- Karamazov. Yes, The Flying Karamazov Brothers, I guess they're Russian. Roy Jones Jr. was going to rap. Cindy Marcolis was going to do magic. Ben Stein dancing the jitterbug. And Ric Flair was going to dance salsa. He was going to salsa dance. And after one week, they ditched it. So there you go. Sucks. We never got any behind-the-scenes footage. I don't know if they ever even taped more than episode one. Because I would have thought by now we probably would have seen footage since then. So maybe after week one, they just stopped. I think so. Um, there was also a, a really stupid joke bringing up Brokeback Mountain with George Takei that night. So anyway, speaking of stupid shit, 2009, Hulk Hogan in the midst of his divorce with Linda. You remember Linda's boyfriend, 19 years old? remember that guy, Dev (laughs) Hulk Hogan did an interview with E. And unfortunately, we don't have video of this. We don't have audio of this. All we have is transcript. But in talking about not being able to go to his house, basically losing his wife, and realizing that her 19-year-old boy toy boyfriend is driving around in Hulk Hogan's vehicle Hulk Hogan says that he, and I quote, could have turned everything into a crime scene like OJ cutting everybody's throat. You live half a mile from the 20,000 square foot home you can't go to anymore. You're driving through downtown Clearwater and you see a 19-year-old boy driving your Escalade and you know that this 19-year-old boy is sleeping in your bed with your wife. I totally understand it, OJ, OJ. I get it. How do you defend that? I mean, Hulk Hogan's PR rep went on E and allowed E allowed his rep to say, "No way does he condone the O.J. situation. It was just to exemplify his frustration in the situation." And you know, look, I'm not. I don't condone it either. But what I'm trying to think Hulk Hogan was trying to say is, "Look, you're married. You get divorced." and then you see this 19-year-old boy toy driving your car, sleeping in your bed, you can't go to the house that's yours, you know, it could make someone flip out. I think that's pretty much what Hogan was trying to say. But to say, okay, OJ, I get it, very, very stupid on Hogan's part. No way to go around that. You understand why he said it, but it was just not wise at all. Same year, 2009, E60 did a feature on Vince McMahon in the WWE. If you've never seen it, go seek it out. It is available online, and it's, it's entertaining. It really is. I mean, it's amazing when you realize how many years have gone by already because I remember covering this on the Don Tony and Kevin Castle show when it came out. That same week, Tori Wilson announces on a MySpace that she is retiring from pro wrestling due to a back injury. Her official statement, I quote, My health is doing okay as far as back problems. I must say that there are days that I wake up and ask myself, why the heck did I put my body through what I did the last few years? But it's all worth it. I can never trade all the awesome experiences I've had in the WWE and, of course, all the great lifelong friends that I've made along the way. I have been told by two back surgeons that I should never step foot in a wrestling ring again. If I want to be moving around in a few years on my own, do not wrestle. Pretty depressing if you ask me. I don't even have some awesome memory of what my last match even was or who it was with. Hopefully it was with Victoria and I beat her. Um, Now, I know she was in a battle royal after that, but she didn't have to really do anything. But this really was, you know, Tori Wilson's retirement. And I know what some people are going to say. She didn't have a memorable wrestling career. But how great did she look recently, you know, showing up in that uh, Royal Rumble? I need I say more. Pro Wrestling Guerrilla 2009 had their 100th event in Rosada, California. Why am I mentioning this card? Because it's 2009, quite a while ago. And when I read you this results, I have a feeling a lot of you out there that may have never seen this event might want to go seek it out. The Young Bucks over the Cutler Brothers to retain the PWG tag titles. Roderick Strong over Scott Lost. Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, over Kenny Omega by submission. Joey Ryan over Paul London. Austin Aries, The Human Tornado. And Chuck Taylor over B-Boy, Candice LeRae, and Scorpio Sky. Davey Richards over Tyler Black, Seth Rollins. El Generico, Sami Zayn, over Sunjay Dutt. Chris Hero over Colt Cabana to retain the world championship. Pretty stacked card. 2009. And wrapping up 2009... On Monday Night Raw, they had their draft. A lot of wrestlers jumping ship. Some going to Raw, some going to SmackDown, some going to ECW. So just to go down memory lane, if you'd like to know, MVP went from SmackDown to Raw. Big Show went from SmackDown to Raw. Melina goes from Raw to SmackDown. Matt Hardy and Triple H from SmackDown to Raw. CM Punk from Raw to SmackDown. The Miz from ECW to Raw. Kane and Chris Jericho from Raw to SmackDown. Vladimir Kozlov and Maris. Actually, no. Vladimir Kozlov went from SmackDown to ECW. Maris went from SmackDown to Raw. Rey Mysterio goes from Raw to SmackDown. Kennedy goes from SmackDown to Raw. Shad Gaspard goes from Raw to SmackDown. Alicia Fox from ECW to SmackDown. Primo Cologne from SmackDown to Raw. Mike Knox from Raw to SmackDown. Ezekiel Jackson from SmackDown to ECW. Nikki Bella from SmackDown to Raw. Candice Michelle from Raw to SmackDown. Zack Ryder from SmackDown to ECW. Chavito from SmackDown to Raw. Atlas Ortiz from ECW to SmackDown. Layla from Raw to SmackDown. Hornswoggle from ECW to Raw. D.H. Smith from SmackDown to ECW. John Morrison from ECW to SmackDown. Carlito from SmackDown to Raw. Natalya from SmackDown to ECW, Luke Gallows from SmackDown to Raw, JTG from Raw to SmackDown, Dolph Ziggler from Raw to SmackDown, The Brian Kendrick from SmackDown to Raw, Charlie Haas from Raw to SmackDown, Hurricane Helms from SmackDown to ECW, and last but not least, Brie, Brie Bella goes from SmackDown to Raw. 2010 WWE announces via press release that SmackDown would be moving to sci-fi effective October 1st and um they would stay there until uh January 2016 when it would go to the USA Network and this you know would be the end from NXT you know they would leave the network it would be an internet show and then obviously would go to the WWE Network later on um 2010 as well, Orlando Jordan announced on his Twitter that he signed a new long-term multi-year deal with TNA. He would be gone nine months later. 2011, WGN America drops WWE superstars, and as a result, it moves to the WWE.com website. And unfortunately, in 2011, it is the anniversary this week that Edge officially announced his sudden retirement from the wrestling ring. I mean, we know now he suffered from spinal stenosis and uh, unfortunately he was not able to return. There's been rumors over the years, possibly having a match, a cameo here and there. And yes, he's made appearances, but as far as in-ring work, he insists to everyone he is done. It is not happening. And you know what? God bless him that he seems to be living a pretty healthy life as far as injuries go. He's in phenomenal shape, but if you'd like to relive his retirement speech, here you go, courtesy of WWE 2011.
11: Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the world heavyweight champion.
4: ever in the history of the WWE. And as we said, rumors have been swirling all day long about what Edge is about to tell us. All I can say is, from what I heard today, I hope it's not true.
10: And I've been joined on commentary here by Hall of Famers Gary The King Lawler and good old JR Jim
1: Ross. do you have any idea what this announcement is all about? I really don't, Josh. All I know is this man is a... Started out as a tag team competitor in WWE and has risen to the ranks to a Hall of Fame-like career as the King mentioned, an 11-time champion.
0: You may have to bear with me a little bit. I'm probably going to ramble and not make much sense, but just please bear with me. Uh, a lot of people think that the, uh, that the WWE doesn't hurt, um, that what we do, maybe it's done with smoke and mirrors. And, and I wish that were true. Uh, but anybody in that locker room, anybody who has ever stepped foot in here, laced up a pair of boots, they know that's not the case. Uh, which brings me to what I'm about to tell you. Eight years ago, I, uh, I broke my neck. Um, I had spinal fusion surgery, which means they, they move your throat over, they put a plate in there and screws, and it's, it's really in-depth surgery. But because of that surgery, I knew that I was, uh, I was wrestling on borrowed time from that point on. Uh, so fast forward, and uh, the, the last, last little while, I've been in uh, a lot of pain. I, uh, I've been losing feeling in my arms. Um, so, I I, I passed uh, strength tests and all of those things and I, I made it through WrestleMania, but uh, the WWE wanted me to go get more tests. And thankfully I did, um, because the MRI showed that uh, that I have to retire I, just, I mean trust me it's not my choice the, the doctors have told me that, that I got no choice uh, and thankfully they found out because I'm not going to end up in a wheelchair now uh, it's a little bit tougher than I thought it was going to be. Um, so, you know, no, thank you, guys. I <laughs> Remember
7: to show of
4: respect for the young man
0: <laughs> Well, I, I tell you, this has been an emotional roller coaster of a week for me, and I'm not gonna lie, I felt sorry for myself. I uh until I talked to uh to Christian. Uh and for those of you who don't know, Christian has been my best friend for 27 years. Uh and you see, I, I was angry, I was angry at myself, I was angry at my body because I felt like uh, there's a lot of people in this company that depend on me and I felt like I was letting them down. Uh, I felt like I was letting you guys down. Uh, but then, you know, he, I was upset too because I didn't feel like I was ending this on my terms. But he reminded me that, that I've, I've competed my whole career on my terms. I, uh, You know, I'm still like all of you, I am a huge fan of the WWE. Every month, Christian and I would go to Maple Leaf Gardens and we would watch all of our favorites. We would watch uh, the Legion of Doom, we'd watch Demolition, we'd watch watch Hulk Hogan, we'd watch all of them and, and just be enthralled. And then I went to Wrestlemania 6 and I watched Hulk Hogan against the Ultimate Warrior and I said, I'm doing this one day. And you know what? Fast forward a whole bunch of years and I'm main eventing Wrestlemania against The Undertaker. There's no way I ever would have dreamed of that. There's no way if you told me when I was 11 years old that I would win more championships than anyone in the history of this company. No way I would have believed you. And if you had told me that my last match would be at Wrestlemania in one of the main events defending the World Heavyweight Championship and that I'd be retiring as the World Heavyweight Champion... Man, I couldn't dream of a better way to go out. I really couldn't. You know, I I started in the WWE when I was 23. I mean, I've been doing this for 19 years. 14 of them with the wwe my first match was may 10th 1996 in hamilton's cops coliseum and uh i was 23 years old and I, i feel like i've grown up in front of all of you i feel like uh i've made a whole lot of mistakes in front of you i've learned from them and i've become a man in front of you I've gone from being the the silent guy running around the streets of New York with a trench coat that was way too small for him, to uh, a pseudo vampire in the brood, to one of the funny goofy guys along with Christian posing for those with the benefit of those with flash photography. I became one of the most despised guys in the history of the WWE. As a matter of fact, I got thrown in the Long Island Sound. I had a a live sex celebration, thankfully with Lita and not Vicky Guerrero. And I would hope that through it all, I've earned the respect of everyone in that locker room And I hope that I've earned all of your respect. Because no matter what, no matter what, I came out here and I tried to give you guys as much as I had every single night. And in turn, you guys gave it right back to me. So, I'm gonna miss all of this, all of it. I'm gonna miss that reaction when I hear my music and I come out on the ramp. It's like a shot of adrenaline straight to the heart from you guys and it's amazing, I I can't describe it. But that being said, I don't have to wear tights tomorrow and I am gonna go eat a whole lot of ice cream tonight. But if you ask me if I would do all of this again, all the way back from getting hired by JR. If you ask me if I'd travel all the roads, log all the miles, hop on all the flights, all the sleepless nights, all the surgeries, all of the injuries, the metal rods in my teeth, all of it. If you ask me if I'd do it again in a heartbeat. So thank you, thank you very much.
2: 2013 You know I agree People online give credit to New Jersey For starting this chant But you know what It was the night after Wrestlemania New Jersey as far as Monday night Raw Goes was represented By you know almost every State multiple Countries that crowd Was by far a New Jersey crowd and I'm not saying this to Criticize Jersey in any way But it's the night after WrestleMania. The crowd is tremendously active and hot and just really enjoying the night. So when people out there say that New Jersey gave birth to this chant, maybe it happened in Jersey, but it was the WWE Universe worldwide gave birth to this chant.
10: night I'm giving it to you we usually we usually end the night by playing somebody
11: to thank each and every one of you for coming out tonight
7: we hope you had a great time and we definitely look forward to returning to new jersey in the very near future good night everybody please drive safely
2: think it got popular quick that same week in the UK Fandango's theme hit number 44 on the UK singles charts and just a little tidbit that I think people will find amazing the last time before Fandango song last time a WWE song made the UK top 50 Hacksaw Jim Duggins from 1994 Hacksaw Jim Duggins Think of, that, think of that song. Hacksaw Jim Duggins was the last time a WWE song made the UK top 50. Go fucking figure. All right, we're almost going to wrap this up. 2014, Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella get married. Beautiful wedding photos online. I picked one and put it in a synopsis, deservingly so. They are still married and doing well. God bless them. They are now a family with children, child. And, uh... Good for them, good for them 2014, Jim Ross Goes on a little Twitter rant Talking about wrestling and Villains, and I'll just share A couple of them right now You can do the Google search Go online, do a Twitter search April 2014, you'll see them for yourself Jim Ross says, and I quote What traits must a top TV Wrestling villain possess to motivate ticket Buyers to invest in seeing villain Get their ass whipped? Who gets it? If pro-wrestling villains rarely cheat, have abundant, redeeming social qualities, they're not villains. Stop bullshitting yourself. Pro-wrestling villains must have rules to break. What moves are illegal? Fewer and fewer. That fine gray line between good and evil is a joke. He'd estimate that half of today's TV wrestling heels aren't equipped. They don't have the guts and toughness to be great villains. Most had rather be cool. And uh, he had some interesting interactions with fans as well. So if you want to go seek them out, like I said, they're online, make some very valid points. I agree wholeheartedly. Number one with doing some little segments behind the scenes. You want to do a little segment on your website? Fine. But as far as characters go, I, I agree with almost everything that he said there. 2015, Steve Austin made some comments. You might remember this. John Cena in his match against Rusev at WrestleMania 31 whipped out a springboard stunner, and basically Steve Austin commented it on his podcast, basically, um, you know, saying, you know, it's it's such a dynamic move, but you know, you you do it in the middle of a match and you have people kicking out. I don't think he was all that thrilled of Cena, and and if you notice, does Cena still do that move. I haven't really taken, I mean, maybe he hasn't. I just haven't paid attention to it. But I haven't really seen him uh, do that move much anymore. That same week, uh, Daniel Bryan and John Cena defeated Cesaro and Tyson Kidd at a SmackDown taping in London. The reason why I bring it up was because at that time, it was Daniel Bryan's last pro wrestling match. He was forced to retire because of the injuries. Thank God things have changed since then, but still, it was this week in 2015 that Daniel Bryan had wrestled his last match. And to wrap this up, 2015, Taz missed a commentary session with Josh Matthews for some impact tapings, and we learned shortly thereafter that uh, Taz was gone from TNA. TNA removed all references of Taz, removed Taz from their social media, everything. Taz was gone from TNA. And it was 2017, it's been this long already, people, Braun Strowman, backstage Roman Reigns inside an ambulance I'm not finished with you and he flips the ambulance sideways remember all that controversy can you really flip an ambulance then Roman Reigns was in the stretcher and then we had some botchamania moments thrown in there if you don't remember the botchamania parts just go online and search it Roman Reigns Braun Strowman ambulance botchamania enjoy it a lot of fun can't believe it's already been that long Notable birthdays this week, those who are celebrating birthdays who are no longer with us, Angelo Pafo, Antonio Rocca, Kurt Von Hess, George the Animal Steel, Stan Stasiak, Paul Bearer, Brian Adams, Frankie Lane, Grant Apache, Alfonso Dantes, Dr. Wagner, Bulls Mahoney, and Larry Winters. Happy birthday, God rest your souls. Holly Race turned 75. Mo from Men on a Mission... Surprised how old he is now. 63. Jesse Barr turns 59. Damian Kane and Tony Anthony turn 58. Vicky Guerrero and Rico Casanova turn 50. Goldust and Grand Apache Number 2 turn 49. Monte Brown turns 48. For the Nitro Girls, Fry and Julio De Niro, not of the Nitro Girls, turns 46. Lita and Cibernetico turn 43. Christian York turns 41. Austin Aries, 40. Jesse Neal and Paul London turned 38. Drake Brewer turns 36. Uh, Aria Davari, Mia Yim, and Juice Robinson turned 29. And Bing Wong, happy birthday, he turns 24. Notable debts. This week we lost in history Ernie Dusak at 85, Gene Kanitsky at 81, Wild Bill Savage at 77, Raymond Doza, 73. The Great Goliath at 69, Larry Sharp 66. Too many times people die the same week of their birthday. Bowles Mahoney passed away at 44, Dynamite D at 37. Larry Sweeney, talked about him recently. He passed away at age 30. Mike Von Erich, age 23. Really sad. Anyway, with that said, I am done with this week in wrestling history. I hope you enjoyed it. Please, as always, send your feedback. You can contact me on Twitter, at Don Tony D. Follow me on Twitter. I don't bite. I put personal stuff, personal views, sports, politics, other things. But you want a little extension of yours truly outside of, you know, these shows? Follow me on Twitter, at Don Tony D. The website, DonTony.com. Email DonTony at DonTony.com. Facebook.com slash DTKC show if you want the archives of this episode and many others www.dontonykevinkastle.com. We got our podcasts up there, going back to what 2005. So go check them out. And as always, if you like what we do, you want to support the shows, help us keep the bills paid, keep the lights on, keep these shows free for everyone. Consider our Patreon page. It is Tony. You sign up there for as little as five bucks. You get not only you know access to Patreon exclusive shows over there. You have Breakfast Soup, which is hosted by yours truly, a mish of Wrestling Soup. It's like a combination of Wrestling Soup and Breakfast with Blossy. We do it every other week. There's about 50 episodes up there. Kevin Castle does a solo show there as well. Castle Chronicles is about 50 episodes as well. We have uh, giveaways every month, pay-per-view predictions contests. We do early releases of this show and some others. It's really a lot of fun there, and it is a very small, tight-knit family. And uh, give it a shot. Patreon.com slash Don Tony. Sign up for a month and tell us what you think of it. Um, I'm telling you, everybody that signs up there, I get repeatedly, I can't fucking believe how much shit is over here. Wow, this is awesome. And I'm not exaggerating. If anybody out there signs up and doesn't like it or just wants to, you know, unsubscribe, I'll be more than happy to send you $5 back. Privately, I would never say it publicly. Don't feel embarrassed to ask if you're not happy nobody's taken me up on an offer yet. So, all right, everyone, I'm out of here. I will be back in one week with your next edition of This Week in Wrestling History. Everyone be well. I'll talk to you all soon.
8: Ciao, everyone. During the season of giving, you might give away more than you want.
3: Sweater for mom, video game for Jake, and my credit card for someone named Gina.
8: More online activity can mean more exposed personal info. But LifeLock by Norton has identity theft protection all wrapped up. And if you become a victim, we'll work to fix it. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions. But you can save up to 25% off your first year with promo code LifeLock. Visit LifeLock.com today.
3: Hello, this is Discover, and we take customer service very seriously. We know that if you have a question or concern about your credit card, that's a serious matter.